Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Man, there's a lot to talk about today. Obviously, Colts and Ravens, right? Little college football getting set, even though we have, you know, still have tomorrow. Do you ever have one of those weeks, Jimmy Cook, where your days are a day off the whole week? Yes. Thought it was Thursday yesterday for a lot of the day. I, I, man, you're not kidding. I, last night, like, I thought it was Friday all day. And I'm like, wait a minute. Or, I'm sorry. I thought it was Thursday. Like, I was thinking today was Friday. Yes. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. We have another day yet to go. Um, but there's a lot going on, and obviously a big part of that is going to be NFL conversation, as is always the case this time of year. But then all of a sudden, I don't know if you heard that. Did you hear that noise in the background? It's a basketball starting to bounce our way because the Pacers are, are tweaking their way, leaking their way, moving their way, dribbling their way into the news cycle as well. So good afternoon to you on a Thursday that for whatever reason feels like a Friday. My name is Jake Query. Uh, Eddie Garrison, the CEO. Every day's Friday for him. Uh <laughs> joins us today i'm always partying like it's friday jake <laughs> always partying like it's, it's friday. friday somewhere exactly some people it's five o'clock somewhere it's, it's friday, friday somewhere, friday somewhere and it's always five o'clock somewhere uh, jimmy cook is with us the president of the company and then of course all of you folks are the employees of the company uh thanks for joining us here today and i want to begin with and i hope people aren't upset by this but i want to begin with this pacers news let me ask you, Jimmy, if you had to rank in terms of the Pacers roster, you would put Buddy Heald where? In terms of like players of importance on their roster? Probably fourth or fifth. So you would have Tyrese Halliburton number one, right? Yes. Okay. Your number two is... As of press time, Miles Turner. Okay. Three. Benedict Matherin. Four. Probably Buddy Heald. Okay. That, that's that's maybe fair. maybe maybe Bruce Brown. I'm willing to hear Bruce Brown, even though okay. he hasn't been a pacer okay. yet, but what he's supposed to be, what he's gonna be paid to be. Okay. Maybe Bruce Brown four, Buddy Heald five. Here is the interesting thing in the situation in the saga of Buddy Heald, and here's where we stand. Okay. Buddy Heald is Really, so when the Pacers made the trade for Tyrese Halliburton, and essentially that's what it was, right? Yes. But you had Tyrese Halliburton, who was a younger player, was still on a younger contract, and Domas Sabonis was getting paid a decent amount, and you know the Kings, so they do that trade. Buddy Heald was, to an extent, and I don't mean this to undersell Buddy Heald and what he meant to Sacramento either or what Indiana envisioned for him. It's the truth. But there is a large percentage of how he ended up here was a salary match. Yeah. Okay? A throw-in piece to make the deal work. Correct. So Buddy Heald comes here, and then the Pacers, it, it was kind of like when you, you know, I, I don't even know how to word it, but like a, if you do like a buy one, get one, you're at the store, and they're like, by the way, since you bought this, you can go ahead and pick something else out for free. <laughs> and then you're like, you know what? That, that second thing I got was really good. What a bargain. The, the Pacers, and I'm not saying they didn't respect and know a Buddy Heald's game when he got here. That would be disingenuous for me to say. But what the Pacers didn't fully grasp about Buddy Heald 
until he arrived were two things. Number one, he is very close to Tyrese Halliburton and kind of keeps him loose, a la Mark Jackson to Reggie Miller, that relationship they had. But number two, and more importantly, Buddy Heald is really well-liked, not only amongst the locker room, but amongst just the staff in general. He's an extremely likable, gregarious, fun-loving guy that, truth be told, when things aren't going well for the Pacers, they're in a five-game skid. They got to go on the road for seven games, you know, for two weeks out west, whatever. Or even when they're playing really well, they've won four in a row. They've got the Lakers coming into town. In moments when things can get tight, in moment in moments and times when things can get tense and or stressful, Buddy Heald's the guy that keeps that team loose because all the players like him. He's kind of a jokester. He's fun loving. And he always has a knack for kind of keeping things within perspective. And I think the Pacers looked at that and thought, this is really valuable to us. Then you throw in the fact that he's one of the best three-point shooters in the game. He draws defenses out. He opens things up elsewhere. And he's also durable as heck. Like he, He's like an Iron Man. The problem is this, and this is where things where we are his contract is up at the end of the year Kevin Pritchard has been open about the fact we are not ruling out at some point extending him before his contract is up but we're not necessarily 100% like saying it has to get done right now either but he healed tell me if this sounds familiar on the other side of town but he healed is saying look I'd like an extension I think the Pacers would like to extend him and give him another contract. I think Buddy Heald would probably like to play here. But in the NBA, like any professional sport, an athlete goes after where they're going to get the most money for the most part. Now, this is where we have, Jimmy, the challenge. The Pacers agree with you, I think. The Pacers, I think, realize that Buddy Heald is a really important piece, and maybe in their mind that moves him just behind Miles Turner, Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, and then maybe Buddy Heald, just in front of the other guys you're talking about, Benedict Matherin, Bruce Bruce Brown is a really good call, Andrew Nimhard's a good player for them. Yeah. But the challenge is this. Buddy Heald basically is thinking in his mind. So so where Buddy Heald realistically slots and where he should get paid in terms of those slots, I think the Pacers don't necessarily disagree with. But they also have to look at the contract that they're giving him and an extension they're giving him. Where realistically is he going to slot for the body and the meat of that contract? And what they know, and probably what Buddy Heald knows too, but what they know is that Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, those guys are moving, and for that matter, Jarris Walker, are moving very quickly in the left lane towards perhaps moving him down a few rungs on the ladder of significance within their roster. So do you pay for and extend him for what he's worth right now, or do you give him the money of what you assume he's going to be worth in three years, knowing that you have young pieces that play in similar areas on the floor, even though he does something better than anybody else on the roster and is a very important piece? It's at no slight of him whatsoever, Jimmy, 
but I think the Pacers have to be smart about the fact of where they see him in significance and where they expect to, in a few years, see him in significance are kind of two different things. And you have to you have to build a contract around the latter. And I understand why Buddy Hill is saying, look, I'm the third most important guy on the team. I want to be paid like it. Well, you are, but we also have to keep some money available because Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard are like right behind you as the elevator doors are closed and about to jump onto it. And that's that's where they are right now. And, and that may mean that they are at an impasse. And then once you reach a point of the impasse, I don't think that Buddy Hield is ever going to be some sort of a distraction. But you do get to a point where you're like, okay, if we know that we are not going to re-sign this player, then we need to parlay him into something else before he just leaves in free agency and we get nothing in return. And that's where they are. Shams Charani uh, had a story on The Athletic yesterday that kind of outlined all of this, and he mentions, in fact, the Pacers did offer Heald an extension in recent weeks, but it's believed their proposal did not make the seven-year guard feel desired. That from Shams' league sources. Ergo, show me more money. Show me that I matter. Show me that you want me to be a major piece of what you're building in this franchise. And I don't think there's any animosity or anything personal between Buddy Heald and the Pacers, but the truth of it all is their timelines don't match up. Right. Buddy Heald's a 31-year-old guard. And the idea that, like I saw this on Twitter yesterday, the idea that Buddy Heald in the second half of his career is going to mold into, like someone threw out there Ray Allen, which is like, I mean, very, very high praise and like your best case scenario as a two guard in the NBA to hope that in the back half of your career, you're a reliable, still knockdown shooter and you're worth that to a team. He could be that, but it's not going to be on the type of money that he wants right now in three to four years. I, I, I really like Buddy Hill. He's one of my favorite Pacers, but this has been kind of a writing on the wall type of thing the last two seasons that it's decision time with Buddy Hill at some point, the closer we get to 2024, what's going to happen with his contract. And for me, it's if you can't find middle ground with him of an offer that is appeasing to both him and the Pacers long-term future, you do what Shams is reporting they're going to do, which is send some feelers out there. This doesn't reek of Heald would hold out and would like cause drama, as you mentioned, Jake, and not play this year. But it does have certain a certain air about it that would make me think this is something that is explored throughout the season. And maybe it's done towards the deadline for a team that he's been linked to rumors the last two years towards championship contending teams of, oh, they could use a player like Buddy Heald. Maybe that's the ultimate destination for him. Maybe that's done around the deadline. But I think his time here is running short because he old wants one more payday and the Pacers just aren't on that. Like we can talk about all we want that. I want the Pacers to be out of the play in this year. I, or I want them to be out of the play in and I want them to be in the actual playoffs. They weren't in the play in last year, but I want them to take a significant leap to the point that they're a one to six seed. And I know buddy Heald would help you do that. But if he wants long-term security and he wants one more contract and you have a young core, you're still building around it's far better off in my mind to ship him off somewhere where he can get paid, get some more assets that allow you to build while still winning games and adjust to this new era of Pacers basketball. He, he, here's the thing. If he, and, and I can tell you, again, when the Pacers are talking about the, the contract offer the Pacers would give to Buddy Heald is financially in the ballpark of allowing still for the thought process of the money that you have to keep 
aside, essentially, knowing that Ma- for Matherin and Nimhart and those guys in the life of the contract. So, yes, they, again, they likely offered him what would have, what will in three years make him probably like the fifth or sixth highest paid player. And he is saying, but I'm your third most important player. And the Pacers are saying, you, we don't disagree with that, but you're not going to be in three years. Yeah. And so in three years, we have to build the contract based around where you're going to be in three years. That that's that's the the crossroad, right? And players and agents don't think that way. They want to be paid for Under, what they've done in course. the past, and they and they want to well, have they, more long term security. The, right? I mean, like anybody, you want to get the most money sure. you can. And I don't right? blame them for that. It's just how it goes. So the the other side of it would be, in terms of where you send him, more more like here's the most likely scenario for Buddy Heald. Most likely would be. Unless he goes right away to a, you know, there's always a team. There's always a team that overpays for a guy because they need somebody to score for them and they're kind of rounding out a roster. My proverbial Jake Queryism of a 2025 guy, a guy that scores 20 a game on a 25 win team every year. The, the league is full of them, right? There are teams out there. That would say, you know what? We've got to have, we've got to hit the the salary cap floor. We're rebuilding. We got to have somebody to to put a couple of butts in the seats. And they go out and they sign an aging Joe Johnson a couple of years ago, or they sign you know some player that you're like, oh okay, like that seems like a big contract for that guy. But somebody has to start and somebody has to score for them. Heald could probably get a big deal out of a team like that. But I think the more likely scenario, because he is a very good player that does something that is unique in the league in terms of his three-point shooting, I think very likely if they were to trade him, and they, again, are going to trade him for whoever gives the best package back, and if they trade – I'm saying if they trade him at the deadline. Now, they could still come up with some sort of a a way to sign him and extend him. But if they trade him at the deadline or before the year begins – I think it's entirely possible <clears throat> that he would go to a team that needs a shooter as a final piece to make a championship level run on and they would get Buddy Healed on basically a rental. And then at the end of the year, meaning this season, he signs a bigger, more lucrative from financial standpoint deal with Orlando or Utah or you know somebody like that, right that needs a guy to make a lot of money to hit their their cap purposes while they're rebuilding, and that's what he does. I, I think that's entirely possible that that's the scenario. But he is a likable guy. I mean, he's a he's a likable player. He's a fun player. I and I think there are a lot of people that are like, this would be a mistake for Indiana to let him walk. I don't disagree with that, but they're not looking necessarily at this particular season. You have to look when you're extending him at the totality longer than that. I would bet on him not being the same player three years from now. Well, that's, that's what, what I mean. fa- and and exactly. I but to your that, point, right? but that's what fans get lost in, right? You see a great player, you see a guy that, by all accounts, is it, it, it just appears to be a, a fun player. I've been a fan of Buddy Heald since his days at Oklahoma. Like I, I've always been mesmerized by players that are able to knock down shots from distance consistently. I think a lot of basketball fans in my generation appreciate that. And so when he came here, it was like, oh wow, this is exciting. I wonder what Buddy Heald's able to do here. And I mean, he set the record for most threes made by a pacer last year. Like, and that's that was a record that was always going to be broken with the way the NBA has changed. But like, he matters. He does matter. It's just I don't know that he matters 
to the franchise three years from now for the money that he feels like he's earned. And I'm sure a franchise would pay him that, but you can't fall into that trap with where the Pacers are right now as a franchise. Who, who are the most famous buddies you can think of? There's my buddy. Remember the doll? Buddy my Holly. Buddy, buddy the buddy. Elf. Excuse me? Buddy the Elf. Okay. Yeah. Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly's a really good one. Interesting story, by the way. Buddy Holly's last name is actually H-O-L-L-E-Y, but in his first record contract, they accidentally screwed up and wrote it as H-O-L-L-Y, and he was thus marketed that way, even though it was never spelled. That's not the way he spelled it in real life. His headstone is H-O-L-L-E-Y. I've been there, Lubbock, Texas. Um, Buddy Holly's, that's probably number one, right? Probably. Buddy Bell? Yep. Yeah. But but who did Buddy Bell play for? Eddie, if you if you can call, I think he's one of those guys played for like nine teams. I want to say Minnesota was one of them. That may be. I think of him as a Texas Ranger. Jimmy Cook is looking it up. Yeah, no idea. Yeah, speak. yeah. Can't do anything for you. Does it say he may have the- been like with the Royals too? Because didn't he? Pa- was it him that passed recently? Cleveland, Texas, Cincinnati, Houston, Texas again. Okay, as a player, I managed at a couple spots as well. I was going to say, te- for whatever reason, I think I had a baseball card of, of Buddy Bell as a Texas Ranger. Six right? years in Cleveland and six years in Texas were his longest stints in the Buddy league. Holly, a strong call by you, though. Like, coming right out of the box with Buddy Holly. That is impressive, Jimmy. Thank impressive. you. Uh, Colts getting set for the Baltimore Ravens coming up on Sunday. I guess the big story yesterday, and again, it's weird to me because I'm thinking it's a Friday, so I'm like, well, we got to know. But in terms of practice yesterday, who went and who did not, um, the three that we've talked about, right, continue to be out. Quentin Nelson... And then as well, Ryan Kelly and, you know, obviously Anthony Richardson. And those are the big things that we'll be watching in terms of whether or not they're going to be good to go on Sunday. I think we're probably trending towards at least two of those three probably being out, right? You need some type of indication today. You need practice from one of those bodies to be able to have a clear picture of are any of the three going to play? And if none of them do... Then you have your answer. If you're not getting practice options on Thursday, that's that's probably fair. Because last week he missed practice on Wednesday with the toe injury, and then he practiced Thursday and Friday. You're right. I I should isolate that to just to just Kelly and to Richardson. If you're not getting anything from them today, they're I doubt they would play. I have a question about Quentin Nelson. Okay. Is Quentin Nelson still elite, or do we just think that because there was so much hub about him and he was taken in the top ten, and in reality he's a good to slightly above good guard. I, 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 I'm not question. saying that I know. Yeah, I, I feel like he's inconsistent. But am I am I off base? I mean, he he's just been so injury riddled, so it's not necessarily his fault. I I feel like there are times where long stretches of the season, and whether that's injury or whether that's a step back from him, it has felt like that he's not lived up to the contract that he got. To answer your question, like I. And that's a that's a tough pill Big to swallow for a guard. Correct, man. correct. It was lar- it, it was panned a lot in the weeks and the season that followed after that deal was completed. But I, I it'd be, it would be hard for me to tell you confidently today that he's lived up to that deal. How Not- do you gauge though if a guard has lived up to a contract other than looking at pure like how many? penalties or sacks given up or I mean pressures, pressures would be one yeah, right you know, like, you know as as well as any of us Eddie that they have I mean there are groups out there they're like I'll tell you how because his his velocity rate of extension off the line is a .79 <laughs> rating I mean you know I mean like yes. notoriety in terms much, of accolades? I mean I would argue and this isn't fair but the money they paid him set him up for such a bar that it would need to be near perfection from him like you would need to look even a casual fan 
just look at the broadcast view and be able to tell. Yeah, right. there's nothing's touching but, this guy. Yeah, I mean, and that's not I, I, fair, but it's just it's it's what he was set up for. It's what he was set up for when they signed him to that extension. I, I think that there are people, and I understand this, and I hope people respect this. Okay, I think that there are people that. Quite frankly, when you ask that question, how do we know if Quentin Nelson's or, or when I ask that question, there are people listening that are like, but Jake, that's why I listen to you guys to to let us know that. And I think hopefully people understand there are times where I guess maybe now I'm just old enough to do this, where I will readily admit I don't know the answer to that. I can I have the access to ask other people who are trained professionals, but I think there are a lot of people that do what we do that are going to claim they know that answer. I'm going to be more forthright so that you do know that when I state something on here emphatically that I'm doing it because I truly know that as opposed to just always acting like I know everything. Sure. I, I don't when it comes to Quentin Nelson, I, I I trust the people that you hear talk about it a lot, which is to say he is a good player, but the combination of injuries and an odd regression that no one could really figure out vaulted him back to being a serviceable player. Whereas he started out as obviously an all-league elite player. But some of that, too, I think might have been... I think now people will tell you that might have been a little bit of like living off reputation at some point. Yeah. Uh, Matt joins us on the show. Matt, what's up? Hey, boss. What's going on? This is Matt. I'm your food and beverage director. Just <laughs> Thank you. Um, everything going okay on the food and beverage route, Matt? It is. Okay, doing, good. Doing well. Well, thank you for checking in. Sure thing. Uh, I I think, um, and I have been loud about this since the day he was drafted, I didn't care if Quentin Nelson became the greatest guard in the history of the league. It was an awful draft pick at a time when you needed a quarterback to to take a guard instead of running out a 37-year-old Phillip Rivers. Um, He's not gotten any better. He just falls down on his own from time to time. And if you think back to when we won the rushing title, they had Wentz and they had Glowinski out of guard. They wouldn't pay him $7 million, and he, he left to go to the Giants. And they turned around that same session and gave $20 million to the other guard. I mean, I, I think that reverberated through the locker room. I, I don't think that was good because I think Glowinski was liked, and the line was better when he was here. Plus, he had Costanzo on the other side. I think, I think Nelson got a lot of credit for what was actually a very good line at the time. And his contract, in my opinion, destroyed that line. Here's the one thing I would say, Matt. I don't disagree with you at all, but I'll push back on one area. Um, and that is, at the time that he was drafted, they didn't need a quarterback. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, they didn't know that they were going to be in need of a quarterback eventually at the time he was drafted. But I do 100% agree, Matt, that the one thing about – I think the best thing you said there, um, you know, aside from, hey, boss, was at the <laughs> – at the beginning of your point where you said, I don't care if he's the greatest guard of all time, he's a guard. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I do think, and I think Chris Ballard would, would tell you, if Chris Ballard had truth serum, in him, truth serum in him, I think he would say that if he had to do it over again, he realizes now maybe that building or giving the big contracts to a guard, linebacker, you know, those positions 
are like today building an NBA team around Dikembe Mutombo and Sam Cassell. But that's why people are so frustrated with the idea that Bauer is going to get the opportunity to build around Anthony Richardson because this is not a mistake that is made in 2004 in a tell-all book where you're like, I just didn't see the league changing. It was, no, the league had already changed and you still decided to build it in this manner and you're getting another bite at the apple. Like That type of reflection and true serum should be in Bauer's autobiography But here's the thing, Jimmy. If you're getting another bite of the apple, isn't it safer to get somebody who's getting another bite of the apple that still has the sour taste in their mouth from the last bite they mistook right i mean so fair is he really going to make the same errors twice i mean that's the other question uh before we get to and by the way we're going to go to baltimore here coming up uh, on our road trip about five minutes from now so get your corn nuts ready we're going to go road tripping but mike joins us mike what's up hey director of safety here and your new label is El Conquistador. Oh, well, I like that. Yes, you have to refer to me at all times, of course, as El Conquistador, right? Hey, quick question. Uh, a quick question who? A quick question would be to... But you should say, I have a quick question, El Conquistador, right? Uh, well, I think I'm still on the board. Didn't we put me on the board a couple of weeks? <laughs> Mike, hey, I've, I've been handing out boardroom passes like Oprah. I can't keep it straight. <laughs> all right. Uh, question, El Conquistador. Yes, sir. <laughs> Do you think there's any connection or resource that the NFL could go to other than obviously including the medical doctors and whatnot as far as the helmets? I was thinking yesterday, why not reach out to somebody that fully depends on a helmet like IndyCar and see like if Bell or somebody could create – um, some type of safety device. I'm not going all out on the Hans device type thing, but I remember back in the day, and some players still use it, that little bounce pad that's in the uh, – that that rigid – that keeps your head from, you know, the helmet from hitting the ground. Yeah, the, it's almost like a, a – bar- or something. I mean, it's, it's like – it's a formed uh, plate. Something. Like I know that. exactly what you're talking about, Mike. I, here's the thing. I, I – I'm assuming that they have to keep this in mind, and it's a good question. I don't know the answer, obviously. My assumption would be that the league has to not only keep in mind when it comes to helmet development, safety, apparatus, all of those things, they not only have to keep in mind the person wearing the helmet, the neurological protection provided thereof, but also the fact that that helmet at collision is is... I mean, quite frankly, like a weapon towards the person on the other end of the collision. So you probably have to take into consideration the different things on it, how they are impacting the other part of the collision. That's strictly a guess. I'm in agreement with you, Mike, and I understand the question about just the helmet and, and concussion safety with the league because for a league that professes so much about their desire to keep things safe neurologically speaking, it does appear as though there are still areas that one would assume they could make improvement, but they claim to be constantly analyzing and studying those things. And I mean, I'll give them benefit of the doubt. Furthermore, for explanation and elaboration on all of that, uh, I thought yesterday our conversation with the chief medical director of the National Football League was outstanding. Um, Dr. Sills, and we've got that up on the podcast page, right, Eddie? Correct, yep. Okay. Uh, we so, get master's credit for that, too, right? I heard that? We get master's credit that's for right. that, too, right? That's right. Well, and we can, and he's now a member of the board, too, yep. for what that's worth. Uh, speaking of, by the way, traveling, road trips, all of that, buckle in. You know, I need a Hans device, just a seatbelt and some Doritos or chili cheese Fritos, whatever it might be. Road trip next. We're going to go to Baltimore, talk Colts and Ravens. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Road Trip's going to take us to one of my favorite places. Get some crab cakes, go to the Inner Harbor, go see Edgar Allan Poe's Home and Grave. Tons of history, tons of good people in Baltimore, Maryland, and that's where we go to one of my favorite personalities in terms of people that are just linked. And I love anybody, because I think people know this about me with Indianapolis. Like, I'm an Indianapolis homer through and through. I bleed the torch when you cut me, right? And this next guy is like that for the city of Baltimore. I've had him on the program before when I was on the morning show. Met him at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. From Baltimore at WNST.net. And I'm talking about Nestor Aparicio, who joins us now. Nestor, how are you? Good to be back on in the friendly heart of the Midwest. And you're given that Baltimore tour. You you do know that like you took the team from here, so you could, you get to visit all of your history when you come. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, Nestor, but most people here are over it. Most people here are like, look, man, they've been in Indy longer than they were in Baltimore. Most people here are over it, but some aren't. You know, the people, the but you you buried the hatchet, didn't you? Cry and. The people who woke up watching their father cry and, and seen him cry twice in his life, and that was one of the mornings, like me, you don't forget that. You know, I mean, I know exactly where I was on the morning of March 28, 1984, believe me. Before we get into this game, because it is an, an interesting conversation, Nestor, because, you know, the two of us would be on the two opposite ends of that spectrum, right? Because in Indianapolis, we knew there was rumor. I mean, they built the Dome. We knew that there was a chance of an expansion team. The USFL had been mentioned. And, and the Colts would like come and go depending on the week in terms of the front burner of the reality of coming here. And I think people were still surprised when it actually happened. Well, and- I know the mayor here was. I mean, the people here were because they just thought it was kind of an empty threat. And, you know, Bob was very volatile. I mean, I don't need to tell you that, right? Sure. So, I mean, you know, I was 16 years old working at the newspaper at the time. Um, you know, it was a long, long time ago, and and um, just how it happened and the records. I told the story this week. Uh, I've written a couple of letters. My, my website's at baltimorepositive.com if anybody wants to see my stuff. But I wrote a letter to Steve Bishotti, the, the Ravens owner, as well as John Harbaugh and some other people. And recent times, the Orioles are really performing. The Orioles are the biggest story here. And I've been doing this on the air for 32 years. There hasn't been a September where the Orioles are a bigger story than the Ravens since the Ravens got here. So, I mean, it's kind of weird because football has been on the back burner a little bit here. But I talked to Bashadi this week. And, and back in 2006 when you guys won the Super Bowl, um, and it, it, the, at that point, Steve Bashadi had owned the Ravens outright for only like a year. He, he, got, he invested in the team, but there was a five-year halo where Art still owned the team that he was – in line to buy the team, kind of ramping up into that. And he got the team, and one of the biggest complaints here, and this is me on the radio and just in general, you know, I mean, I ran road trips. I, I, you know, I roost with Ravens fans, you know, and the biggest civic complaint was people started going to the Hall of Fame here when they realized, like, John Ogden and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were going to get into it, right? And they would go to Indy, to, uh, to Canton, and it, where all of the records would be, it would be under the word Indianapolis, and everything under Indianapolis was Johnny Unitas and Lenny Moore and Art Donovan and all those, all the heroes of, of Baltimore, you know. And Bashadi didn't like that. He didn't like the fans doing that either. And he and I and Jim Ursay went for a walk, a cigar walk, at the Biltmore in Arizona at the owners' meetings in March of 2006. 
to have a discussion about the records and about like where they belong. And I really, I like Jim a lot, Jim Irsay. I've gotten to know Jim. I was, I've been to his, um, his, his rock and roll shows with the guys from REM and the, and, and the Mellencamp band and just Kenny Aaron off. And I've been, to, I mean, I like Jim a lot, Pete Ward. I got friends in Indianapolis. I mean, you know, all, all these years, but Jim went for a walk and we, we talked about it. And Jim said, I'll agree to anything except anything that's not true. We moved the team. We moved the franchise. They're still called the Colts. He said, what I, I would have no problem if Johnny Unitas' stuff was under the Baltimore Ravens side of the thing because all of that stuff happened in Baltimore. And Baltimore, that's Baltimore's. You know, that's not – that's the Colts. It's not Indianapolis's, but it's still the Colts, but it's Baltimore's. And the Hall of Fame didn't see eye to eye on that, right? The Hall of Fame says it's a franchise. It's the same way for the Cardinals and the Bears and any other franchise. There's tons of franchises that have, that have moved around 50, 75 years ago, uh, including the Oilers and the Titans. I mean, the Oilers are wearing their old Derrick this year. Well, so, in, Nestor, in, let me ask you really this. because some people off in Houston. You know? So, I don't, let me ask you this because I'm actually – I mean, I have my assumption here. Um, I think a lot of people get confused by this, Nestor – in the football hall of fame because in baseball it's such a big deal like what hat a player is going to wear right on their bust and in the football hall of fame it's simply the bust of the player and then underneath it on the bust itself it or you know underneath the bust it says the 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 teams of service right and it just says like richard dent is in this the was hall of- more about the franchise it's not the bust room the bust room's just the heads and the you know so the, the but goals. the bust room for johnny unitas would say baltimore colts right of course yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, of course it does, right. But the, the area where you would go visit, if you want to find Johnny Unitas in, in, in Canton, you have to go to Indianapolis' section to find him. Gotcha, I understand. Right? Yeah, which right. is so – and, and I think there's a lot you know, of people, Nestor, that like when the Colts were making that Super Bowl run and Jim Irsay is like having Raymond Barry come out beforehand and like, you know, flip a coin or whatever, most of Indianapolis is like, why is Raymond Barry out here? You know what I mean? Like, like stuff like that, I get it, right? Oh, dude, I went to St. Louis for the time, the five minutes that the Rams were there, right? And I would look up and see Jack Youngblood and, like, all, you know, cr- crazy of Fred Dreyer, you know, from Hunter fame. All these Los Angeles Rams names around the bunting of St. Louis. You know, when Art Modell got here, the ring of honor here, he put Ernest Biner into the Raven. Ernest Biner was the first Raven in the ring of honor. He played five minutes here, ran the ball. He was a coach for a Ernest while. Ernest Biner should be in the Broncos guy. ring of honor. Yeah, correct. Correct. <laughs> um, correct. Hey, <laughs> Nestor, let's talk about this version of the Ravens. I mean, it's early, right? But one of the things that it seems to me, and you tell me if this is off base, in, in the just kind of the scanning through that we do to get ready for a game and looking at Baltimore, looking at what they do, I know Lamar Jackson's talent. Everyone does. Seems like they have – the Ravens have – kind of scale back to letting him get in rhythm a little bit with more of like an intermediate and short passing game as opposed to you know maybe even preparing for the later careers of Lamar Jackson where the legs aren't there as much and as a result of that they become kind of a rhythm passing offense in early games now that again that's a passerby flyby observation but is there any accuracy in that I think there's accuracy in, in what you're saying they want to do, right? I mean, let, let's start with this. They lost their running back on the first series of plays. He was one of the many running backs not getting paid, you know, along with what happened to Chubb the other night, right? But, but he, J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State, got injured. That changed a lot about what they want to do with the offense because I don't know that he was going to be a, a bell cow, but for them sort of that way, 
and certainly taking runs away from Lamar that Lamar was running into linebackers in 2019 and 20 and 21. And a lot of people, especially in Lamar's camp, and, and look, I had a press credential for 27 years. There's a long story about them throwing me out and a lot of stuff. But I, they hated my questions in press conferences. John Harbaugh would burr up because Lamar would run the ball 21 times against the Minnesota Vikings on a Sunday afternoon and have to play on Thursday. Four days later, and I had the audacity in a press conference say, your quarterback ran the ball 21 times today, in addition to passing and sacking, and, but he ran the ball 21 times. Is that sustainable? And I asked that question forever. And you know, I had a long conversation with Bob Kravitz this week on my airways from your place, because he, we talked seven months ago when Lamar was like free to go wherever he wanted to go if you were willing to pay him. But the Colts were one of the only teams that even – Jim Irsay maybe had an interest before the draft and Anthony Richardson got involved in paying a quarterback $50 million a year and giving up a draft to do it, and the Ravens allowing that to happen and saying we will rebuild. The Ravens are the only team in the marketplace willing to do this. The first time around when they drafted him in 18 and jettisoned Joe Flacco at the end of his career, and now second time in when he hasn't played a game in December in three years. And they can say, well, it wasn't because he ran the ball. They were non-contact. It was away from the ball. It wasn't a sack. He didn't get clobbered. You know, he didn't run himself into an injury or whatever. But there is definitely something over the history of the game of not wanting your quarterback to get touched. There's a reason they wear a red jersey all during the week. There, you know, there's a reason you don't seek contact as a quarterback. And I, that was very, very – I don't think anybody – dislikes Lamar for, for any of his skill set or any of that, I think the, the idea is how are you going to keep him upright when you, you can't keep other quarterbacks upright when you're trying to treat him like, like you know, glass or like China? And Lamar doesn't play that style of game. This year they're trying to tone it down a little bit, have him throw the ball more. He's capable of throwing the ball more. He's capable of reading a defense. They have not had wide receivers that have been great targets. They have not had great health. I mean, he didn't have Ronnie Stanley for two years during his career. He's got Ronnie Stanley back, and now Ronnie Stanley's out again, right? And Ronnie Stanley was a lottery pick left tackle. He was a top five left tackle. Number six, excuse me. Um, so they're at, without their first-round center, Tyler Linderbaum, who's also been injured. He got injured two weeks ago. I mean, that first game against Houston was like a body bag game here. I mean, everybody got injured. Odell Beckham came up lame last week. So the injury report here is a mess. Marlon Humphrey on the back end. They lost uh, a safety, Marcus Williams. The injuries are really the story here. They're 2-0. and They beat Cincinnati on the road. They, they look formidable. But they are playing with, without six starters, maybe as many seven, eight starters this week, depending on Stanley and Linderbaum and, and their availability to get them back. Mark Andrews missed the first week. So when you say you, what they are, what they want to be, they don't have a left tackle. They don't have a center. They were without Odell Beckham most of the game last week. They were without their star tight end, and they're without their running back for the season. So the fact that they're two and zero looks great, and it's it's and, and it looks like they're going to beat the Colts or ten point favorite. Like they're they're going to stack up some some good things here. They they have a, a, some very winnable games on their schedule. Pittsburgh and Cleveland don't look formidable, and they have them the next couple of weeks as well on the road, where they can really make hay by winning on the road, winning some of these games the way they, they beat Cincinnati. But trying to get the offense together and trying to figure out what Todd Munkin's trying to do, Zay Flowers is the guy you guys should be watching. He's become the fun target. Uh, a little bit of what Hollywood Brown was drafted a few years ago to do, a real yak guy, a guy that you, you know is, is going to try to catch the ball in space and they're going to try to get bad matchups and 
uh, and get linebackers and safety that can't catch him or fall down. Um, he, and, and Bateman is also a first-round draft pick who's had a lot of injuries, was not available at all last year. So all of this notion of the offseason, we go through this year every year, DaCosta does a great job signing players. They do a great job at drafting players. They're deft about how they handle their salary cap. They always sign some Javian Clowney or some Justin Houston or some Elvis Dumergold to get after the quarterback. They always have young, promising pass rushers like David Ajabo and uh, Adafi Owa, who's who they have right now. They have all of this. And then the whistle blows, and half their team can't make the field. And by Thanksgiving, the quarterback's not upright. I mean that's just a that's a fact. Right. And right that's now, a good recipe. The yeah. a ten point favorite. They're without five Pro Bowl caliber players this week. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Nestor, when you look at certain teams around the NFL, there's certain characteristics about them that you always consider to be true, regardless of what era we're in. And for the Ravens, for me, it's always been that ah, they're going to play hard nosed football. They're going to be great defensively, but. Ed Reed and Ray Lewis haven't been there for a minute. But there's some dudes on this Ravens defensive scheme. When you look at the Ravens of 2023, two games in, is this going to be a team that relies heavily on their defense like Ravens of yesteryear? I think they're going to have to to some degree if, if, if they're not going to have a left tackle in their center. and you know all, all of these issues have happened on the offensive side of the ball, but on the back side of the secondary, Marcus Williams is a huge, big free agent. They gave him a load of money, and then they went into the draft and signed Kyle, and got Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame last year. Kyle Hamilton's looking like he might be a dude. Roquan Smith is for real, they, they, Eric DaCosta unearthed him in the middle of the trade deadline last year, paid him a fortune, brought him in and said, I need a leader on my defense. I mean, Marlon Humphrey's a little bit of a pretend leader. Um, he's a great player. He's not on the field right now. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that's mouthier in social media than he actually than playing time. He doesn't show up on the field, and he's got to play because he's a great player. He's going to be a difference maker for them on the backside of their defense. But the middle of the defense, Patrick Queen was a guy they drafted to be Roquan Smith. Kind of failed. He was a first-round draft pick, and it wasn't working out great for him. Um, they, they wound up trading for Roquan, giving him all of the money. Patrick Queen has been a good soldier. He hasn't popped off. His agent, you know, he, he, he's taking his vitamins. He's playing great football. And some team like the Colts is going to give him 80 or $90 million in the offseason because he's playing great. Uh, so Patrick Queen's on point. Roquan Smith's on point. Jadavian Clowney's been a real factor in getting after the quarterback. They haven't played great offensive lines the first two weeks, right? Like Houston, awful. Cincinnati, not so good. Burrow, gimpy last week. They didn't get their running game going at all. So the defense right now smells pretty good. I'm wondering how the pass rush is going to do against more stout offensive lines as this thing gets a little crazier. But the Ravens are going to stack up wins. I mean, they're, they're a very good football team. They'd be an outstanding football team if they could get everybody to the field. And right now, other than Dobbins, who's gone for the year, all of the rest of these guys, Stanley, Linderbaum, um, um, Humphrey, Williams is going to be out for a while. They're trying to get these guys back on the field, including Odell Beckham this week. Nestor, and I appreciate your time. Another question for you about the um, about Baltimore before we wrap up here. Nestor Aparicio is our guest from Baltimore, by the way. Um, the 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 Bob Ursay coffin does exist. People thought I was crazy when I talked about Nacho Mamas. It does still exist in Baltimore, correct? It does. It's a Nacho Mamas in Canton. Um, actually, I'm spending the day today. I'm doing. I do this crab cake tour every week, and I'm spending the day today <laughs> with the artist. Who made that? Made all the dummies. The original dummy back in the '80s that you may have seen at Veterans Stadium the first year. 
Uh, he had a big giant dummy. Uh, These are dummies at Bob Ursay, right? Right, correct. Okay. And that dummy got punched repeatedly at a bar called Schaefer's in downtown Baltimore uh, in the 80s and early 90s. And Rasig had to repair it a few times. And then that original dummy's head was repaired and on a stick uh, on my possession in 1996. The first time we came in when March Broda was there and Jim Harbaugh and Goose, those guys were still Indianapolis Colts. And the Baltimore Ravens for the first time came in. Um, we had a, a big thing downtown where you had the Hooters and the train station, and uh, 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 you know, just downtown Indianapolis. We 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 brought the we brought the the Ursay head on a stick. Now that got retired, and a guy named Patrick um, McCusker, who who died very tragically. Now, now what was the ago, Indianapolis reaction of Bob Ursay's head on a stick? Well, it's a good. I appreciate you asking that because I walked through the Pan Am Games Plaza. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. I don't know what they sure. call it now, but that plaza right by the Hoosier Dome. Yep. And I walked through there with the head on a stick, and, and a woman came up to me, head to toe in blue. I think she had a blue cowboy hat on. You know, one of your people, you know, one of your true blues, you know. But this is in 1996, so the team had been gone to your side 12 years. Your team stunk, right? Like you almost made the Super Bowl that previous year. But, like, for the most part, I mean, there were a lot of Steve Edmonds and a lot of Jeff Jordan. A lot of bad things happened. I don't need to tell any, any of you. But this woman came up to me, and I had Ursay's head on a stick, and she said, it's been 12 goddamn years. Get over it already. <laughs> and we had had our team back five okay. weeks at that point. <laughs> so I, I wasn't really over it then. You know, I got over it, and I wrote about it at length. And the thing that got me over it was I was in the same sacred space, the space I'm talking about. And I come to Indianapolis every year, right, combine, all that stuff. Um, you know, I've even come out there for concerts. I've snuck into town to see you 2 and all sorts of things. I, I like Indianapolis. I like spending time there, broad ripple, the whole deal. We throw big parties. Had a lot of great memories in Indianapolis. But, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, you know, all of these years later, the, the, the thing that hit me was Super Bowl week. We should have been there, right? Like that Billy Cundiff missed the field goal and Lee Evans dropped the pass in the back of the end zone in Foxborough. Like the Ravens were coming to Indianapolis for the Super Bowl. They had the game won. They had the SC Championship. So now we're not there. There's this incredible hangover. Now the next year we, can't, we, we went and we won, had our parade, did all, that whole thing. But I'm out in Indianapolis, and it's 70 degrees all week. You guys had the, you had the best Super Bowl maybe ever. Like, I mean, that. oh, it was like, unbelievable. The, well, the weather was unreal. You had the, the, the zip line, the whole deal, right? And you were running around I mean, with I that little doll everywhere. I was at the Marriott, right? I was at the Marriott block there. That's where I lived for 10 days during the Super Bowl, did the show there. You guys saw the, the little mini dummy, which is a different dummy, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, uh, but the, you're, the mini you're dummy posing stuff. them everywhere. <laughs> Dude, I walked your city on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I, I'll be really honest with you. I mean, I've spent 150 nights in your city, right? Like, I walked around, and I saw the city vibrant, and I saw what it meant to your community and what the Ravens mean to my community and what the Orioles now mean again. I mean, all the playoff tickets went on sale today. Playoff Oriole tickets went on sale today, dude. It's unbelievable, right? But so being in Indianapolis and seeing that Super Bowl there and having seen your parade and, and having had this walk with Jim Irsay ten years, five years before that or whatever it was, I just decided it was time to put the sword down for me. That, like, I wasn't going to be the guy in 2023 calling into Indianapolis radio 
you know, revisiting 1984. Instead, we call you for it. (laughs) I don't need to have that hatred in my heart. Uh, You know, like, it was a very heavy burden to carry. I got married 20 years ago, 03. My wife used to come to the combine with me, 03, 04, 05. Dude, I'd be in a bad mood when I landed at the airport. (laughs) I'd land at the airport and I'd see Uh the horseshoe, and I would get... How do you think she felt? over again. Hey, um, Nestor, I've been calling the Orioles for the last 10 years, the cute fella, because the little Oriole bird on the hat is a cute fella that's just saying, hey, root for me. And now they're legit, and I am pulling for them, man. I am all in on the Orioles World Series. This is the year. 40-year anniversary of Cal Ripken's World Series win in 83. Orioles all the way. So Look, enjoy it and have those crab cakes. Like make things nice that you stole our football team. But I do appreciate that, all right? And um, – Pray for our pitching, please. Pray for our pitching. <laughs> All you know? right. We'll, we'll do it. Nestor, it's a, it's a pleasure as always, man. It's one of the fun things on the schedule, and I see that we have an excuse to have you on. So enjoy the Crab Cake Tour. Oh, call me more often. I'll be nastier next time. <laughs> All right. That's Nasty Nestor in Baltimore. Nestor, uh, Nestor Aparicio, one of my favorites, man. I'm telling you, the guy just bleeds Baltimore, and I love it. Now, did you did we have to hit the dump button on when he was paraphrasing the woman? Nope. Okay. That's a word that you can say. Well, I don't think you can say both of them together, Eddie. You can't can't do it together. Yeah. Nope. I don't think you can do both of them together. So I apologize for anybody in that in that circumstance. Uh, up against it, by the way, we're going to talk a little Pacers. Tony East going to join us in 30 minutes, but we'll get back into talking more about the Colts, get you caught up on what's happening in terms of availability of players today. On the other side, Quarry and Company here, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Man, this thing got played plenty on the jukebox at the USA Skating Rink East over by 465 in Shadeland, circa 1981. You know, Joan Jett supposedly dated Carmen Electra. I, I think that was a thing. I could be wrong in that. Um... Interesting stuff in terms of the Colts-Ravens game and something that might alter the Colts game plan in a big, big way, and it's got nothing to do with anything of the Ravens. Jimmy Cook will explain what I'm talking about in just a couple minutes. All right. All you SIGEPs at Purdue, line up. They had some weird dance in the early 90s they used to do to this song. If you were a SIG up at Purdue, hashtag if you know, you know. I don't need right? you to ruin this song for me. I don't need Purdue you're, connotations. With, you're a fan of this song, song, are you? I mean, I just, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a catchy song. Earth, it Wind, is. and Fire, what's it wrong is. with that? And, no, you're right. And Eddie playing it appropriately on the 21st night, or in this case, day of September. So, tip of the cap to the CEO. Additionally, uh, bias aside, you always are going to comment on my shirt one or another. This is a shirt from Epcot and Disney World, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, I'm a nerd. I embrace it. It is what it is. But it's a cool ride. This opened two years ago, and they play like a different song from like kind of 70s, 80s era whenever you ride the ride, and this is one of them. So it's it's, it's all fitting, Jake. It's all coming so together So is that like your me. favorite song of all time? No. But it's a, it's a good song. I go back. Are you like me in the fact that you have, because I do, I've never had a favorite song of all time, but I, I have like a rotation of five or six, and I'm like, I think that's my favorite song ever. And then, you know, then I wear it out a little yeah. bit, then I go back to it. Sure. Oldie but goodie. Um, Bob Dylan has one of them. Guns N' Roses has one of them, just to give you a, kind of the full spectrum there. Uh, so tell me what's taking place here, and we got some Colts news in terms of the health standpoint to get to, but 
There's something else having nothing to do with the Baltimore Ravens, having nothing to do with the injury report that could, in fact, have some impact on the way the Colts are going to try to play on Sunday. So currently, down south, there is a tropical, a potential tropical storm, potential tropical storm cyclone 16 that is being mapped out by the National Weather Service and by the Hurricane Center, and its current cone track would put it online to hit Washington, Maryland area as a tropical depression around 8 a.m. on Sunday, which could potentially, if it maps out that way, impact a number of games, Commanders and the Bills, Jets, the Patriots, and most importantly for this market, Ravens and Colts. So there's something to keep an eye on as things map out. I'm so not a meteorologist. it could be like incredibly rainy conditions, et cetera, et cetera, yes. right? Yes. Which would impact, one would think, you know, actually, if it's a driving rainstorm, do you think that more impacts your passing game or your running game? <laughs> Depending on how, how sloppy it is, right? Yeah. The the wind is the is the big yeah, thing for me, too, true. with that. I remember um, my years get jumbled. I'm going to say 2008, maybe 2007. I wonder if you're going to talk about the same game I'm thinking of. You go first. It's not a game. Oh, not a game. Right then. Never mind. Scratch it. Um, but a sporting event here in Indy. The first year of, and I think it was a three-year thing. Are we talking about practice? We're not talking about practice either, Eddie, believe it or not. <laughs> Close, though, right? Uh, although you almost had the answer. See what I did there? Uh, MotoGP, when it first came to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, I, silly me, it would have been 09 because it was to commemorate the centennial era of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So in 2009, the first year that they had MotoGP, I think it was Hurricane Ike had an outer band that, that still had a pretty strong force that, was, that, that, that hit the Indianapolis area. And it hit like a third of the way through the race. They actually ended the race early. And I, I have told this story before, but I will never forget. I was on the roof of the Pagoda calling Holman Boulevard area of the road course. And my drop, if you want to call it that, the, 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 the turn announcer that came after me that I would throw to as they worked their way back onto the oval in turn two and way up top of the Southeast Vista was Bob Jenkins the late great and the most dear human being you could ever ask for Bob Jenkins and I'll never forget I threw it to Bob while they were still racing and there were I mean the wind was severe it was right before they went ahead and called it but I you know I'm like and Nikki Hayden you know whatever and you know Bob he he takes the right hander of turn number 10 and Bob Jenkins said that's exactly what he does, and it's windy as can be, and I'm coming down. And that was it. And he just took off his headset, <laughs> and that was his announcement. They're like, I'm, I've had it, man. Because it's – I mean, you're up there. He's up in the elements, man. I didn't blame him at all. But they ended up shortening it. But that was the first time I've ever felt that kind of a, of a weather-type condition. And that wasn't a tropical storm, but it was the outer right. bands of one. And, I mean, you're right. The wind is the big thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole different ball of wax, right? I mean, it's just going to be an ugly game across the board. And maybe it was always going to be that way with the Ravens defense being what they are and the Colts defense looking like they've been the first two weeks of the season, that it was always going to be an ugly affair. But yeah, it'll be a, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it takes a lot of the basic like set conditions of a game you can rely on to know, okay, this is going to be a consistent football game where more randomness, more turnover elements come at play. So it just is what it is. It's going to be an ugly game if it maps out and tracks that way where you're playing through a tropical depression. Of course, the big question also becomes, 
what happens in terms of the quarterback play and Anthony Richardson. Um, in terms of today and practice, Jimmy, we now know who it appears is not out on the field and who might be, right? Correct. So no Anthony Richardson out there, no Quentin Nelson out there on initial reports. That from our own Kevin Bowen as well as Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. It should be noted, though, and this is from a couple different clarifications with the concussion protocol and talking to Eddie about it during the break as well. There is still a practice tomorrow, so it could be a non-contact practice for Anthony Richardson, and then he'd be able to check off that box. So there's still a chance. You're telling me there's a chance. There is a chance that Anthony Richardson could get out of protocol, though, again, it is getting bleaker by the day for me, the idea that he's going to play. Ryan Kelly, any word on him yet? Because that's the other big one. And Ryan Kelly would surprise me, quite frankly. Uh, We don't know the depth of his concussion, though. You know, Anthony Richardson obviously was a little bit more – it seemed in the outset there might have been more of a possibility, although they're going to obviously – in any player with that, you're going to be overly protective. But, Eddie, I thought it was interesting during the break for those that are not in here, which is, you know, everyone but the three of us, uh, the two of you got into an arm wrestling match. We do that occasionally. Yeah. Just just pent-up frustration sometimes. this was over – I believe it was the concussion protocol. No, you you do not. You believe you guys seem to have differing. That's opinions. how dark it is in here. We don't even know what it was about. It just it That's just right. happens sometimes. No, you you have differing opinions about Anthony Richardson's probability of playing on Sunday. Correct. Correct. Oh, I don't think he's out there by any means. But I'm just saying that there's still and, a and, chance. And he is that correct. He could be I, I forgot there. about the Friday practice. He could still get out there. And from Kevin Bowen as well. Saying, but you are saying, Eddie, and I I tend to agree with Eddie on this. Jimmy, I want your your thought on it. All right. I would agree with Eddie that the second that he is cleared, he will play. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. That was my thought when we did our predictions into Robin the Genie the other day in terms of where. Thank our, you for the yeah, proper name, yeah, Robin exactly. Genie. Yes. Yeah. When we were making our prediction for what's going to happen here, was the bank on of him getting out of concussion protocol my thought is though we're getting we're getting into territory where i don't think he's going to clear out of it by the way per kevin bowen ryan kelly not here yet is his phrasing there called second practice of the week underway by the way um one of my favorite songs this one right here can you can you play it this way eddie here we go see how long it takes you see if you know the song jimmy you got to dance to it right this time of year, when the weather's like this, you roll the windows down, and then you got to sing like Dylan. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine. Do the bums a dime in your prime. Did you? I mean, come on. Eddie, yeah. you want to do it. Go ahead. I don't know this song. Jimmy, come on. I, I, I know the song, but I don't know enough to sing. A kid you. People in their car right now are saying, I turn in for a sports yep. show, and now all of a sudden I'm tapping my toe. Be yep. careful if you're driving. <laughs> this might cause you to speed up a little bit. Be very careful. <laughs> Everybody that was hanging out. I would love to see Bob Dylan perform that song live, by the way. One of my favorite songs of all time. Um, I, listen, with Richardson, the I would agree with you, Jimmy, that it seems as though – the, the clock probably is starting to, to tick out on the possibility of him going Sunday. The funny thing about it is the reality is that do they need him to play Sunday? I mean, I know that you want to no, see... it's a want. It is a want, right. not a need. Like, you want to see him play. But I'm telling you, like... And, and I know that I'm a broken record when I say this. And, and I apologize for that fact. But... Every year, NFL films would put together like the highlight video of each team's season. 
and John Facenda would have like some catchy title for that team's year. You know what I mean? Like the 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 nineteen seventy one Raiders, the year the foundation was built. Dun, 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 you know, and for the Colts, it would be the twenty twenty three Indianapolis Colts, the building of Anthony Richardson. I mean, that's what it is. That, that's entirely what it is. And so, as a result of that, they are going to be as safe or as conservative as possible in making sure that they don't misstep and accelerate him in any way, shape, or form. Yes. Because they've, especially this franchise, now not necessarily Chris Ballard, and I don't mean that as a knock on him, I'm saying he wasn't around for these, but, but well, he was for Luck for the end of it there, right? So he saw what happened with Luck in the end. Ballard did. And so they are going to play it as absolutely as safe as possible. Like he is going to be in bubble wrap for as long as they need to keep him in bubble wrap. But that's the unique caveat with this, right? Like, they don't have a choice. In this specific injury instance, they don't have a choice. It's either he clears the protocol, and then you can have the internal conflict, which is what you're saying. That's what you're you're alluding to, is the choice they would have to make if he clears protocol. But I'm having a hard time at this point on Thursday even getting to that point, because I don't think it's going to happen. But I also think... That and I do think that if he clears, they're gonna they're gonna have him play. Yeah, but they're gonna make sure. But that's only if he is like showing no signs. Number one, right. and number two, there is somebody asked this question earlier this week, and I think it's a good one. And that is, you know, does Ryan Kelly's availability affect whether or not you know how how aggressive you are in getting Richardson back out there? I you know I thought they they got pretty good play from the line, regardless. I mean, you know, obviously Gardner Minshew got protected. So maybe that's not as key, but you've seen a Christmas story, right? Yes. And I don't mean Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean Ralphie and the Red Rider. Correct. Yep. Yep. Anthony Richardson is the leg lamp. Now, Anthony Richardson is not electric sex gleaming in the window, but he's a major award, right? Yes. It's a major award. And everybody's super excited. Oh my gosh, what what do we have here? Here here's the box. We got a top five pick. Who, who's it going to be? What what do we have here? You open it up. I don't even know what it is. Look at that. It's a major award. This is like, and we're going to put it for everybody to see on display because nobody's seen anything like it before. This is unique to everything. Holy cow! We've got to let the entire neighborhood know. Look what we have. We have a six four quarterback that can run like the wind. That has an arm. That that seemingly is you know he's only twenty one years old and it, you know he's a major award. I want everybody to see it. Let's put it on display for everybody. And then what happens? Wasn't protected enough. And it didn't take long, even though I think we know it wasn't the Bumpus's dog. It, you know, she was just cleaning the house, and it was simply an accident. But it broke right before, their very, before his very eyes, right? There goes the major award, and it, it, was, it was no more. And Chris Ballard has seen – he didn't see the unwrapping of the major award of Andrew Luck, but he saw the broken aspect of it. And right then was like – Man, we can't do. If I get that major, if I ever get another major award, I've got to make sure that it is protected as protected can be and be conservative. So I'm contradicting myself because I do think that they will have him play if he is available to do so right away. But at the same time, if they have an inkling of thought, Jimmy, that it could in any way, shape, or form set him back by sending him out too early they're not going to do it but I don't think they'll do that I think they will determine that they think that this kid is like savvy enough to just pick up dust off and go back out but they're going to have to start doing things about 
because the reality is the play calls are not going to go away of the designs for him to run, of him getting between the tackles, of him trying to sweep to the outside, Shane Steichen coming up with those plays. They're going to keep going to that well, but they've got to find better ways to make sure that he's just like with Luck. I mean, what was the big thing with Luck? He, he, don't, he doesn't slide, he doesn't know, etc. They're going to have to, to, to work with him on and Shane Steichen to make sure they're coming up schematically with ways to keep him clean. I think there's a lot of issues at play, though, with the decisions Anthony Richardson is making. Like we mentioned in week one, lowering the shoulder on that late, not late hit, like as in that it was a dirty play, but like late in the game hit, and then just him not being prepared for the contact after his second touchdown. Like those are both, I would think, easier things to learn of, okay, this is this is a protect yourself at all times league. I need to always have my head on a swivel. I need to be smarter with my decision making than I look awkward sliding. I need to figure out how to slide better. Like I feel like it's an easier fix, but that doesn't mean that I'm disagreeing with the idea of needing to be more aware of the fragility of the position and the play style that you're going to ask him to play because he's at it at his best when he's able to play that way. We're not yet in a danger territory to me where I have yet jumped in the boat of we need to put him in bubble wrap and, oh, you need to be very, very careful with him because if, if he just missteps one way here, I mean, that that happens. You can't protect a player to the point that injury is no longer going to be a factor within their career. You can fine-tune things here or there. As you mentioned, Jake, you can adjust the play calling, but only if it's to a point where you're not limiting and trying to put him in a situation where he's not doing the things that he excels at that makes him the leg lamp that makes him something that you want to have the world Major see because they've never seen it before. Major award. From Fragile. You, you, yeah. you, don't, you don't want to cage the unicorn. Haven't teams brought in – you're going to laugh when I say this. Haven't teams in the past brought in like a guy from the Indianapolis Indians or the local baseball team <laughs> to teach quarterbacks how to slide? Yeah. I'm serious. They did that. Didn't they do that with Luck? Am I making that up? I think they did. I'm like I'm, like I'm like I'm like seventy percent certain. If they did, it was highly suggested, it, it, right? One of the two. Yeah. One of the two. I had a I, conversation with somebody about that a week or two ago, and we the, the internet's forever, so we could check this. But maybe it was as simple as like an Indian's like social media member just joking around, like tweeting at the Colts, "Hey, we can help your guy slide." Like I have I have vivid memories of that being a thing. Chance I, I'm making it up, but I no, I, I think. I think you're right. It was certainly mentioned or discussed. Yes. You know what hasn't been mentioned or discussed, and I'm surprised you haven't brought it up. Okay. Your favorite team, Jimmy Cook, is? Kansas City Chiefs. Their biggest superstar is? Patrick Mahomes. Correct. And you know what's interesting, really? Jackson Mahomes? Well, that, along those lines, where I'm going with this. What's interesting is, so Jackson Mahomes is what, like a... Oh, we're really he's, doing this. This a, is not okay. Now he's I'm an worried. Influencer, right? Yeah, he's something. But who is, from a playing standpoint, who is the really the only other superstar the Chiefs have? Travis Kelsey, correct? Or Chris Jones? I'm willing to. I'm willing to hear Chris Jones. But do you but think Travis Jones Kelsey is, a is more notable? Though? Chris Jones is a great I mean, player amongst football people. Yes. Yes, but amongst outside you go to, you of go football, to a Super Bowl party, everybody knows Travis who Travis Kelsey, Kelsey is. Travis not everybody Kelsey. knows who Chris Jones is. Now, correct. But. So Patrick Mahomes is linked to his brother as a social media influencer, right? Yes. He he's his his brother is like a TMZ darling, right? Mm, yeah, yes, for them, yes. Yeah. 
Travis Kelsey decided that he couldn't be upstaged by that, so he decided <laughs> to go out and find himself the biggest influencer and TMZ darling on the planet, right? Yes. Do we know for a fact, is his brother pulling a prank or is this legit? About Jake is alluding to the idea of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift dating. Um, I don't know. The tra- Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift's name have been linked to one another since earlier in the summer when Travis said on the New Heights podcast that he was, I guess you exchange bracelets at Taylor's. I don't know. I don't want to get the Swifties after me, but like that's a thing. You exchange bracelets at concerts and he had made a bracelet for Taylor that he wanted to give her a turn to this whole thing. And now, yeah, people are running with it that they are potentially seeing each other. I personally think it's probably like a joke because his brother supposedly has confirmed this and I'm like, yeah, okay. No, I think it's legit. Here's my thing about Taylor Swift though. And let me, I, I said this, one time to, to Mark and Kevin in the morning, and I think people thought I was saying it as a, as a slight to her. I was not. I truly believe this. And hear me out before the Swifties, like, and I'm sure there are a ton of them listening to this show. Locked in. Before they jump all over me. On They're this, part okay? of the company. Did you know that? We just signed That's the right. Swifties. Part of the company. Can you imagine? It was a big acquisition. Um, I do not in any way, shape, or form dispute Taylor Swift's incredible there's just an it factor about her i mean it is amazing literally yes. like she announces a concert to a major city and it like shuts that city down yep uh, you know it is undeniable how her massive 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 appeal and transcendence and all of it it's amazing to me but and this is not meant as a slight to her at all as a matter of fact it's probably meant as the ultimate compliment to her what is fascinating to me is that when you reach that level of superstardom It's still Taylor Swift's realm of fame, recognition, and more notably by that, I mean the lyrics to her songs and the recognition of her songs is still for the most part limited to esoterically those within the snow globe of which she performs. By that, I mean you stop the average 60-year-old person on the street and go, name four Taylor Swift songs. And they're like, they absolutely know who she is, of course, right? The, the way that music is ingested today is basically a la carte. Music today, in 1983, when Michael Jackson, who was the last person I believe that had this level of global fame and impact, and I think was bigger than Taylor Swift is now, but in 1983, the way you ingested music was like in elementary school, the way you ate lunch. You ate what they served you, right? And so, and there were only like, so many radio stations and that was it you had to listen to what was on your handful of radio stations to know what music was great now music is like lunch in high school you can go and eat whatever you want and never even look at like the green bean special right and so you are able to ingest specifically what is of your taste so and taylor swift has done a remarkable job of getting an unbelievably high amount of people that choose that ingestion of her music but i don't think that it has the transcendence of because of the way and you know in 1983 80 year old women knew Billie Jean and Beat It and Thriller because of the limited scope of the areas in which it could be distributed. For Taylor Swift today to do what she's doing is truly remarkable. But I also think it's fascinating that somebody could have that element of reach and yet still be somewhat esoteric within their niche. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, I mean, there are guys my age that know a lot of her songs. Most of them it's because they have daughters that are 
listening right. to her. According you know, to the messenger, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey have hung out twice, and it's nothing serious. She thinks he is very charming, and they have been texting this week. Well, if she thinks he's charming, then I have serious questions about everything I just said about her, right? I'm kidding, of course. She's massively, massively talented. Travis is allegedly embarrassed about how much attention they're getting. Oh, yeah, sure, because he's embarrassed of attention. Travis Kelsey is embarrassed of attention. That's like me saying I don't love me some me. Okay? I mean, everybody knows different than that. Tony East is next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. See, here's what fascinates me. I, and I totally get it. I mean, this is a really good sounding song. She's got a great voice. It's The music's great. I, nothing to dislike about this, but I will be honest with you. I, I don't know that I'm familiar with it. Is that like a major hit of hers? Yes. It's currently it, arguably her biggest hit. I think I, I was just doing some reconnaissance during the break. Uh, apparently it is her biggest hit from a Billboard 100 chart standpoint. It's topped the chart seven times since uh, its release. And that's going back. Uh, I think what, October is when that was a big deal. But I think a big part of it is like we don't have like a Casey Kasem countdown anymore or like Rick D's where like you can listen to the radio every week and find out like what's the number one song. And uh, you know what I mean? Like the Seacrest still do that. I don't think he does, does he? If he does, it's not like it, now watch if it's on our sister station I'm going to get in trouble. But I don't I don't think so. <laughs> he did at one point for and, certain, but and, and I do know, I mean, listen, I, I have definitely heard from people that like and I like my buddy Mac Ingle that writes for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. His daughter is like 13 and he took her to go see Taylor Swift in Jerry's World in Dallas and he told me he's like, "Dude, she is an unbelievable performer." It was like 3 hours nonstop. Springsteen's the same way. That's why that's I'm not a Springsteen fan per se, but that's why I went to go see him for just before he shut down his tour basically because that's the reputation is just he's a fabulous entertainer and she obviously is. I mean, I take nothing away from her at all. Uh joining us now and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based off that conversation. Um, talking about the Pacers, talking about the Buddy Heald situation. We opened the show in talking about it. Tony East joins us now on the program. Tony, first, uh, I think it's the first time I've talked to you when I've actually been awake, so it's good to speak with you. <laughs> I'm disappointed to not also get fabulous entertainer on my lead-in. Um, <laughs> how about world entertainer and can sell out any arena at any time? Taylor Swift and Tony East, right? Taylor Swift is like saving city economies with her tour. I'm not quite on her level, I don't think. You are correct. I mean, it is unbelievable. But let's begin with this. Speaking of economies, Tony, and this is what I said earlier. The Pacers are in in an interesting situation. I'm having problems talking today with Buddy Heald because I think the Pacers really like him. I think he does something that is unique in the NBA, and he's one of the best at it in terms of his ability to shoot the ball and stretch defenses. I think he keeps the locker room loose and is really well-liked and is a great teammate guy. But I also think that extending him is a tricky area because you would be paying him for what he is worth to your team right now. And with the emergence of other young players, he is not going to be worth that same amount to the team in two to three years. What is is your thought? That is absolutely how I feel too, right? Like uh, Presumably too – I mean, Matherin said it himself, talking to Stephen A. Smith in the summer, and they talked about Buddy Heald's role change at Kevin Pritchard-Deck's interview. Presumably, like, that a sense for Matherin's minutes was coming now, and Andrew Nemhard's in the fold waiting for you know, more playing time. He started often last year, even next to Heald, quite often. So 
there already was the ascent of some younger players in the mix. And that doesn't even account for if you extend Buddy Heald now, you're paying him for his ages, you know, 31, 32, 33, whatever seasons where not only were will these young guys be ascending, Heald himself would, in theory, be declining. That's just how, you know, prime ages work in athleticism. Maybe he won't decline much, I think, because he's such a good shooter. But just in theory, you are paying for the downsides of what his value to your team could be. And so for the Pacers, you're probably capped at what you're willing to pay someone like that be just because of that. And at the same time, you know you have the other guys to replace him. And I haven't even said Ben Shepard, like, already coming up in the mix. So it's probably hard for them to go past a certain line that they've set of, this is the highest ruling to go. If he's above that, it doesn't make sense for us because they're kind of set at, at those kind of off-ball guard spots. The other thing, here's where I would see this going. And, and I don't think that we're at Jonathan Taylor level of impasse. Like, I don't think Buddy Heald is necessarily playing bad cop. I think he is simply saying, look, if I am your third most valuable player or fourth at the worst, then I should be paid like it. And I think the Pacers are thinking, you, you, that is correct. But in two years in the meat of this contract, you're not going to be because there are other players in the left lane and objects in the mirror are approaching faster than they appear. And so I get that. If he were to be moved by the trade deadline, Tony, I think he would probably go to a team that needs a final piece of an out, like a, a cemented outside shooter as a final piece for a push and then as a rental. And then he would sign a big deal at a team that basically needs to get salary floor, salary cap floor. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's certainly possible, right? And, you know, a big factor here in, in the trade discussions that could come if, they're, if they know there's no extension to be had is, unlike Jonathan Taylor, where the Colts can do some things to keep him and maybe would like to, like, deals in the last year of his deal, right? So if there is no extension to be had, a team like the Pacers, who's young and ascending, would be smart to, as a team, think about a move like that. And if your buddy healed, you might think, hey, if I get traded to a team that is over the cap and has no means to replace me, like they're going to be more willing to potentially pay me next summer. So he's, you know, if he's 31 during free agency next year, like that's probably his last chance at a significantly large payday. So maybe he thinks with the Pacers he can play well and keep his value high, and that's all great. But like it seems like. Obviously, Buddy Heald can help the Pacers this year for some of the reasons you said, but it seems like there is at least some motivation for both sides to kind of figure out what the future looks like now and figure it out as early as possible just to know. It's not that they need to rush into a trade. I think, like you said, the Pacers like Buddy, and he's one of the better players on their team. But just thinking about what both parties would think about for their long-term future, there's a lot more to consider there. And contenders specifically, especially teams with stars, shooting is extra valuable, right? Those players tend to be more open. Their spacing can be more important. Like, Buddy Heald would be a great fit on a lot of those teams that have those star players already established. So it sure seems like there would be a, a couple to several teams interested in his service, and a lot of those teams are expensive. So maybe looking to retain him as well. So it seems like there's a lot of natural paths this could take, and a lot of them would be kind of good for both parties. But another path that could be good for both parties is Buddy Heald staying with a team that he played very well for last year. Tony East joins us, covers the Pacers for SI. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. Tony, I don't agree with the question I'm about to ask you because I feel like I know the answer to it, but I want to get your perspective as a beat writer with it. I get the circumstances are different. The ages of these two players are vastly different, and the trajectory of what they're going to be in the next three to four years is vastly different. 
But when the news came out last night from Shamstrania that this was potentially moving towards the Pacers exploring trade options, it got me thinking eerily of, is Buddy Heald now the Pacer that's most in vogue to be attached to trade rumors, or is this legitimately going to march forward towards him being moved? Of course, I'm alluding to what Miles Turner has dealt with for the last four or five years. And once the Turner deal was done, it felt like it shifted to the next movable pacer, which is Buddy Heald for a number of different reasons we've already outlined. So is this just the in-vogue player for the Pacers that's attached to trade rumors, or do you think we are really on the path to he's going to be moved out of town at some point? I think we're really on the path as if there's no extension that happens, right? Like, I remember last year, right after the trade deadline, Rick Carlisle was talking about the Pacers and what they did and, you know, not making a, a massive splashy move or anything like that. And he said, now, if we didn't extend Miles, things would have been different, right? Because last year they had to consider that. Obviously, Miles Turner was in trade talks for years and years for various reasons, but he was on an expiring contract last year. The Pacers had to consider trading him or losing him for nothing. And so there's certainly some vogue factor with Buddy Heald being an elite shooter, and he's been in trade rumors for forever and ever too, but he is on an expiring contract. And the Pacers are hoping to be better this year, but not at the contender status where they can risk just running out seasons with players and then losing them for nothing, especially ones that could fetch you at least some sort of asset. So sure, it's possible that they don't like the trade offers they get and they pursue an extension in the future like they did with Turner, but it sure seems like it's something they'll have to seriously pursue and it could be headed that way just because his deal's over at the end of the year. It's not it's not anything wrong with who he is as a player or his fit or anything. It's just they have to. It's what smart teams do in their situation. Let me give you a couple of players here, Tony. Tony East is our guest, and I want you to tell me moving forward where you think like like kind of what the pecking order is, okay? Sure. So wait, wait till the end here. I'm going to name a couple. Benedict Matherin, Jarris Walker, Andrew Nimhard, Bruce Brown, Ben Shepard. What are the top three in that that they look at and they go, those are major parts of our nucleus moving forward? Moving forward, I think the three I would pick are the ones they've drafted in the last two years. You know, I think like Bruce Brown's probably going to play more than – everybody you just said this year, right? They didn't give him that big contract for no reason. He's a good fit. He'll add to their abilities and on both ends and be helpful. So this year, this year's nucleus, I think Bruce Brown would be maybe the top guy. Matherin could be the top guy. Long-term, I think Matherin is probably certainly the top guy. I mean, the rookie season he just had making first team all rookie is very valuable. He's a talented player. Nemhard was one vote away from second team all rookie, right? And they just drafted Jairus Walker eighth overall. So, those three would be the three that I think, like long-term beyond this year, you know, three years from now, for example, would be the three of those that are ranked to the highest. I would probably go uh, Mather and Nemhard Walker at this point, just because we haven't seen Walker play. Um, but this year specifically is different, right? They're trying to figure out how good they are and how good they can be around Tyrese Halberton with some added talent. And I think Bruce Brown will get more touches. Shepard's in a tough spot because, you know, 26 picks don't play that much. Last year's 26 pick, Wendell Moore, played 152 total minutes. For Minnesota, right, the whole season. So I don't think he'll be in the mix much this year, especially because the Pacers are already a deep team. And without knowing what he's going to be like this year, it's hard to say what his long-term outlook is. If he is traded, Shepard is immediately more important as a depth piece. And Good point, yeah. Could, could, could be in the mix pretty soon. Um, but it's harder for me to know what they think of him now and long-term, just given what their team currently is and given how late he was drafted 
in the first round. But I think short-term, Bruce Brown and Matherin are the top two in that pecking order. And long-term, it's it's Matherin, Emhart, and maybe Walker, if he has a great year, gets up to that top flight. Tony, there's a feature in a game that you and I have both played in NBA 2K where if you look at a player and you, I think, press X on the controller, it's a trade finder, and it'll draw up like 20, <laughs> 20 trades or so for the player that you selected, assuming there's interest around the league. If you were controlling the Pacers and you had been presented a bunch of offers for Buddy Heald at this state before the franchise ends, I know we need to match salaries and all that, but what are you most intrigued by or what gets your attention the most from a list of offers? Is it picks? Is it role players? Is it young players that are kind of like in no man's land that you think you can develop into something special? What would you want back in a Buddy Heald trade that would most benefit the franchise where it is right now and where it's hoping to build towards? I think picks would be my answer. I mean, you know, it's been discussed a lot this summer with the Pacers, but like they might have won too many guys, you know, maybe even two too many guys. Like it's hard to build a rotation with all with even two of Jordan Wara, TJ McConnell and Aaron Neeson playing and all three of them were decent for the Pacers last year. Like they just have a lot of guys. So trading healed for a rotation quality guy. Now, if it's a really good player, like if you're upgrading from healed, sure. That makes sense. But if they're just looking at what kind of asset return they could get in their position, I would probably be favoring picks in their position. Like subtly, they're not quite there yet, but the Pacers are probably in the top five or six teams in the NBA in terms of the package they could put together to trade for a star. If one became available, you know, they have two picks this year. They have all their own first. They have a ton of extra seconds. They have a ton of young players, some of whom might not even be in their rotation this year. They got another somewhat appealing pick to that mix. All of a sudden, you know, of course, they're never going to catch these OKC New Orleans teams that have a billion picks, but they could get into the mix where they're like, wow, we could make a serious offer for any of these guys. And I think adding picks makes sense with that goal in mind, especially because they have some depth to play capable role minutes this year if they just trade healed for a pick. And, you know, you saw Josh Hart go for a late first last year, DeAnthony Melton about the same, Christian Wood. Like, those kind of values make a lot of sense to me, and I think that that is kind of what would pop up for the Pacers is, you know, a late first matching salary and stuff that they can potentially use in a big package down the line, which is something they've talked about being an option. Tony East is our guest. You can read his work at SI Pacers, Forbes Sports, WTHR, of course, the Locked On Pacers as well, so a little bit of everywhere. Tony, um, I I was thinking, was it last year or is it still upcoming? I don't know if you know this or not. There's actually one draft where the entire first round is Oklahoma City. Did they already burn through all those or is that still upcoming? There, like, there was a time there where they traded literally every time I, I, I like looked, it was like Oklahoma City's acquired three more first-round picks. It's like, good Lord. As many cologne bottles That's right. as draft it's, picks it's like there the for you. It's like cologne and watches at my place, right? Um, Outside of Wembenyama and Luka and Jokic, I think if they wanted, they could trade for anybody in the NBA. <laughs> they have the stuff to do it. I, honestly, they, do they still have the stockpile or have they burnt through most of those by now? They used a couple of them to move around and get Jalen Williams and Ushan Jang last year, but they, they they still have, you know, among the most in the league of any team. And they have just totally done a great job of acquiring that stuff and still somehow being a decent team. I know. I mean, they're – and, you know, Tony, I, I mention this a lot. The thing about the NBA that is so fascinating, and this is where the league has gone, and I get it. I go to games, and I sit there, and I, and I look, and it's, you know, half of these rosters – there's like 10 guys that are all like 6'7 to 6'9 that are uber athletic, that can all shoot a spot-up shot. I mean, nobody misses an open shot. And then I look at the rosters, and I'm like, 
every one – I'm like, no, what, that guy, man, you know, he's starting to play, get some minutes here. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, He was at Kentucky for one year. He was at North Carolina for one year, Kansas for one year. And it is amazing, Tony, how – how accurately predicted it is that some of these guys are going to be players because they come in and they don't they, they sit for a year or two and I think that that's what Pacer fans need to remember with like say a Shepherd even though he's an older player coming out of college but it takes a while for some guys right and that's part of the the, the balancing act it is it's 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 really hard for teams to be patient I think sometimes but like a lot of times if you're picked after I mean I make I make number up really but if you're picked outside the lottery like you might not play that much as a rookie like tj leaf didn't pan out too much but he didn't play very much as a rookie aaron holiday who is still in the league you know pacers picked him in the first round he was their third point guard for two years behind mcconnell right like he didn't play much sometimes that's just how it is because there's a lot of talent in the league jordan war was a second round pick he just set the pacers franchise record for points in a quarter he's got a hard path to minutes this year right there's just a lot of talent and so the pacers being a really deep team makes sense in that way Tony, what else you got upcoming here, and what are we looking for before everything gets underway? Like with the Buddy Heald situation, for example, something happens, you think, like this escalates or it goes kind of on the back burner until we get things underway? Yeah, you know, it's weird timing, right, Camps? And for some teams a week, the teams that play preseason games overseas, they start camp up late next week, so about a week away from that kind of stuff, which is tough timing. Like a lot of teams either feel established or would like to have things established before camp. So the Pacers either need to act – extremely fast or just be patient see what happens see what materializes maybe a shooter gets hurt somewhere else so it's it's hard to say what the best course of action is for them both of those would make sense i think the other thing to watch for the pacers in the next couple of weeks is position battles right they've got a lot of guys who could theoretically start a lot of guys who are deserving of minutes a lot of guys who earned them maybe last year but they also added talent so how they sort all that out and and how they talk about it you know their media days in 10 days is going to be fascinating He's Tony East, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East, covers the Pacers for SI. Tony, you mentioned it, 10 days to media day. Get those Rocket League games in while you can, my friend. You're running out of time. You're running out of time. got it. Thank you. (laughs) Man, I'll tell you what. I do enjoy the Pacers season. Who doesn't? Uh, Maybe Eddie. He's working all the time, right? I still enjoy him. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't blame you if, like, are you in here late night on the, the West Coast games? Oh, yeah. You're until about one ish. Now I, I've always wondered this: uh, the post game show. Does Eddie do that in here? So it depends. Um, when it's a home game, Eddie White does it from here. When it's a road game, he does it from his uh, main cave, where he's got his nice little setup. Has he ever said Eddie squared? Uh, no. He may have said E squared. Mm. He's the world's greatest post game show. I, I, he's never said. I, I, I'm surprised. Eddie White's a pretty creative guy, right? Um, he's yeah. square to get the job done. He's though. unique. That's the word but I would does, use. Does Eddie know that there's another Eddie in the room, though? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, see? So you would think he would know. Sometimes there's three. Me, Eddie White, and Eddie Gill. Wow, how he about cubed. that? Eddie Gill. Sometimes we hit, the, we hit the Holy Trinity and get a fourth. Eddie Hazel is one of the backup engineers. So if Scott Finstermaker is out. Um, cookie, right? What'd you say? Cookie. Yeah. I've always wondered this. Does anybody else notice this? I mentioned this one other time, and people thought I was crazy. Pacer games doesn't happen. But NFL games in general, and Cookie, Scott Fenstermaker is the best engineer. Eddie Hazel, too. I worked with both those guys for a long time. Fabulous guys and brilliant engineers. So not exclusive to the Colts, but just in general, when I, when I bounce around and I listen to different college football or NFL games, 
Do you ever hear like a, like a, it sounds like there's a hornet's nest in the background. Maybe my ears are just super sensitive, but like a very subtle buzz noise. Sometimes. It's really weird. And like once you hear it, you can't unhear it. I probably just shouldn't say Ruin that. Ruin sports for yeah, a, hope people the audience. It, it, Colts games, not so much, but like just when I'm scanning around, a lot of college games you hear it. Class action coming to the company because right. jQuery ruined well, college sports. That's right. What, what, what can I say, right? By the way, speaking of Colts games, Matt Taylor going to join us 2 o'clock. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So we've got a, an audible here from Eddie Garrison, right? Eddie, you said Matt Taylor. 215. 215 for Matt Taylor, so we will catch up with him then. Uh, yesterday, have we gotten over the fact that Joel A. Erickson has a demonic laugh? <laughs> no, we've not. You guys keep talking about his laugh yesterday. Can we play that real quick, Eddie? That is a true story. Look it up. That's a true story. That's a true story. Look that up. You people in Wisconsin are demented. Yeah, I mean, listen to that laugh, man. Like, that sounds like when you go to... to, We're about ready for haunted house season, right? When you walk through one of those haunted houses and they've got, like, Zombieland or the demented doctor. They always have, like, one room that's the demented doctor and some girl sitting there and she's like, help me. There's some doctor walking around. That's what he sounds like. To play play off of the playful nature of Joel A. Erickson, though, I like to imagine it is the laugh that instead of the, like, just weird, like, want some candy, like, it's the one bowl that that the hand drops down when you're putting your hand in the bowl, the laugh plays When you go through, you know, Hannah Haunted Acres or one of those places, they always have, like, the one room where there's the the mad scientist is probably a better way of saying it, like, the the crazy physician, and and there's always some... Poor person that's like sitting in a hospital bed, and they're like, you know, oh, they're experimenting on me. And then the scary part, the, you see, like the, electric, the electricity flip. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then there's some crazy doctor, and this is what he sounds like. <laughs> that is it, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Uh, Matt, Matt Taylor in 15 minutes. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Knew this one was coming too, right? Had to. You know the theme of this song? The theme? Do you know the The, the backstory behind yeah, yeah. it? No. You know, Eddie? Fortunately, I do not. Uh, it's about his the passing of his father, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I, guess, I had a feeling it was about like death or yeah. somebody close to him. I mean, I think a lot of people would think of You mean because it's not a happy song? Is that why you got that? It is a yes. good song, though. For yeah, sure. it is a very good song. Um, hey, how are you? It is a Thursday. We have felt like it's a Friday all day for whatever reason, and we're going to talk to Matt Taylor coming up, the voice of the Colts, in about 10 minutes. Before we do that, since tomorrow uh, is Friday, we'll be talking a little college football, and obviously the big story last weekend in college football was that of Deion Sanders. I do find it interesting. People jumped all over me when I – I had commented like during the broadcast, it got annoying how often they called him Coach Prime. I mean, it was like Coach, and people were like, well, Jake, that's what he wants to be called. Like, I guess you have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with it. I just, eventually, it's okay to say also Deion Sanders, right? You don't have to call him, you can you can mix it up a little bit. And I think um, at even one point, Mark Jones says, Coach Deion Sanders, oh, I'm sorry, Coach Prime. Yeah, what? I mean, it, it, which is weird because then the game ends and immediately they go to like Sports Center and they're like, there's Deion Sanders on the sideline and now let's go down to Deion Sanders. I mean, you know, yeah. everybody else didn't have a problem calling him by his proper name. But there's no doubt that Deion Sanders has, as I mentioned before, like an it factor that just, 
you, you know, it is now we'll see what happens when you know it's about to get real for Colorado schedule wise, right? I mean, the, next two weeks, Oregon and USC. Yeah, I mean, it, it's about to get real for them. But he has a swagger and about him that his team buys into, and, and I give him all the credit in the world for that. And he's always been that way. But if if a college came to you, Jimmy Cook, and said, we are hiring you since you are the president of Query and Company, we are going to make you the, the search committee for our college football head coaching vacancy. We are a middling Power 5 team that has had some moderate success but is really trying to pump some life into our program. What former NFL player has the same level? I don't know that anybody has the same level of cachet of Deion Sanders, but what former NFL player would you be interested in talking to that carries with him the level of magnetism that you could achieve that you have at Deion Sanders? Michael Irvin. Hard to argue that except for this. I don't disagree. And that in in, in the way that I presented the question, you're right. You're going to get a lot of flare drop, like just. It, well, but I you, got another one for you. The problem with Michael Irvin is you're going to get a lot of blowback over the fact that you have college kids. You can certainly make the argument that they could learn from Michael Irvin's transgressions, and I, I love Michael Irvin, but I think the skeletons in the closet for Michael Irvin could be a challenge. But there's no doubt from the flare standpoint, sure. that's a good call, Eddie. Chad Ochocinco. That's a good one. It's a pretty good one, actually. Or Steve Smith. Would Ray Lewis do it for you? Oh, that's a fine line there, Jim. I understand, but like, I'm just thinking of of polarizing. Like, I'm thinking of players that there's no doubt people would know who they are, like football fans, or like it wouldn't be hard to put together an introductory press conference package of highlights of this to win player. the press conference. Um, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is up there, but but I don't know that he Jerry Rice is thing though was that he was always just like the quiet right head down and that's why i went irvin i was looking at like i mean irvin either. has the flair for sure but man i mean there yeah. are a lot of yeah there are a lot of people that would be hesitant to have their kid go play for michael irvin i will tell you this though for terrell michael owens okay. i thought about that too. has a randy moss also a <laughs> little bit of skeletons but he learned from him right randy moss is a great example of somebody that can learn from mistakes and reinvent themselves and he's and he's turned into a you know a pretty beloved figure uh michael irvin for what it's worth Years ago, I've told this story once before on the radio, but years ago, Michael Irvin, I had him on, uh, he was, in a radio capacity, I had Michael Irvin's cell phone number. That, that's neither here nor there. I'm not friends with him, but like we did an interview with him and I needed his number and you know whatever else. Years later, I had someone who would cl- clean my house, clean my place, whose name is Mickey, M-I-C-K-E, and my phone is Mickey, right? I was going out of town. Mickey would come and clean my place oftentimes when I was gone. And so I I called Mickey to give Mickey information on where to my stuff was going to be left in the house, left a very elaborate instruction as to how to get into my house, where the money was in my house. And it was just one of those automated, like the number you have dialed, you know, it was an automated thing on the voicemail. Anyway, two minutes later, my phone rings and I look down and it's Michael Irvin calling me. And I'm like, why is Michael Irvin calling me? What I didn't know is when I was calling Mickey, I scanned too far, scrolled too far, called Michael Irvin, left the voicemail <laughs> for Michael Irvin. Michael Irvin called me back, true story, and I answered the phone, and he literally says, hey, my man, I have no idea who this is, but all I know is you got to be the only person in the world that would give instructions on where the money is to Michael Irvin. And I'm like, that's pretty cool, man. That's that was awesome. pretty cool, yeah. Uh, Matt Taylor's next. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Matt Taylor is not only the official spokesperson for Aquarian Company, he is also, probably more importantly, and I'm sure the one that he puts on the top of his resume above that title, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, who gets set to take on the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore on Sunday. He joins us now on the hotline. Matt, let's get right to this. Um, we talked about it earlier, but for those that were not with us about an hour or so ago, uh, I'll just give you three names. You tell me where they stand in terms of today's practice. Quentin Nelson, Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know yet. Uh, you know, they, they, Actually, the team is practicing right now, uh, you know, about – I don't know, 100 yards from where I'm talking to you here at this moment. So you know, we'll find out later today around 4 o'clock, generally speaking, is when the practice report comes out. But, yeah, obviously all three of those guys are going to be front and center, all starters, you know, all guys uh, that, that you play in the trenches, including the quarterback, Richardson, running the football too. So, um, yeah, at 4 o'clock today we'll know more. But I think today is, you know, for the, for the concussion guys, Richardson and uh, Ryan Kelly, today's a big swing day, if you will. Uh, in terms of their availability, if they were to practice today at all, that would be that would be good news for the Colts. So at the outset of the practice, they I think Richardson was, Richardson was out there. I realize that you don't probably have access to everything that goes on in practice to see it, but at the outset of practice, it appeared as, it appeared as though those three would not be practicing today. But that's not to say in totality that they may not still right. correct. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, sometimes at the beginning of practice, you know, guys will be, you know, in, in full pads and look like they're they're ready to go for a full participation day. You know, when the media is out there and, you know, they're going through individual drills or a stretching routine and then the practice report comes out after the media um, is, is has left practice. And, again, this isn't like training camp, right? This isn't like Grand Park. You know, the media can only observe the first couple of minutes of practice. And really within that, they're not seeing – 11-on-11 periods for schematic reasons. They're not seeing, you know, 7-on-7 or anything like that. Um, So sometimes a guy looks like he's ready to go for a full day, and then it comes out, hey, it's it's a precaution, he's limited. So, you know, for for Richardson and Kelly, I mean, hypothetically, you guys know this, but just for the audience, I mean, they they could hypothetically uh, clear the concussion protocol on Saturday or even Sunday morning, having not practiced all week, and be cleared to go on Sunday with not a lot of you know reps and time on task that particular week, which is this week, going into the Ravens. Um, so just because these guys aren't practicing, you know, Wednesday or Thursday, depending on how today goes, doesn't mean they're going to be necessarily ruled out for Sunday's game. So I think we'll know a lot more on Saturday, and hypothetically, they could take this thing all the way up to Sunday. Matt, from your vantage point, how different did the Colts' offense look and feel throughout that game on Sunday with Zach Moss back there? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, when you describe Zach Moss, he's just really authoritative. Like, there's not a lot of – and I actually just interviewed him about an hour ago, right before practice. He just looks uh, – there's, there's no, there's no pitter-pattering going on with Zach Moss. I mean, the offensive line has to just love the way that he runs because he's a one-cut back, and he has really good vision. He runs really hard. He runs through contact. And, you know, not to get all, like, analytically on you, but, you know, the, the, the PFF guys had him down for, like, seven missed tackles last Sunday, which, you know, when you think about the way he runs, he either, like, runs through tackles and he's not, like, 
shifty or uh, you know eluding a lot of people in space, but he actually does do that too. He's he's deceptively good at that. Um, so obviously it was a big you know uptick in production from the running game last week compared to week number one. Um, now the big thing going forward with Zach Moss is just what what is that going to look like now in the running game because. At the beginning of the season or going into week one, it was where well, it's going to be a running back by committee approach, certainly without Jonathan Taylor. And then in the first game of the season, you know, two lost fumbles by Deion Jackson, running backs for the Colts only muster, you know, whatever it was, 25 yards rushing. Evan Hole goes out. He's on IR. And then in week two, it's like, all right, Zach Moss is back. He's healthy. He's ready to go. And I know the Colts were really efficient on offense, which led to them not having the ball a lot. In fact, I think they only ran like 57 plays, but Moss was in the game 56 out of 57 plays. And again, he was the only guy that ran the football for the Colts outside of Anthony Richardson and and Gardner Minshew, the two quarterbacks. So, you know, the running back by committee approach went out the window in week two. We'll see if if that committee comes back uh, to fruition in week three. But I think this will kind of all smooth itself out. I don't see... I don't say I mean not that Moss can't handle 18 carries, but I don't see him playing 98 percent of the reps going forward, and I don't see him being the only guy that runs the ball. Matt, one of the things that really only today was when I first started hearing this. Jimmy was the first to notice it, um, but it could be a factor, and I'm curious how you think it might affect the approach. It appears as though from a weather standpoint, you know, there could be some tropical storms or remnants of it moving into the Baltimore area by the weekend, which would mean wind and then probably a lot of rain. Does that in any way, shape, or form affect, say, the schematic game plan and the preparation going in? And how would how would it affect the Colts in terms of if it is an absolute just deluge of rain throughout the course of the game? What area of what they try to do offensively do you think would then be limited? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, I've gotten ready for this game seemingly every way possible except looking at the, the radar and the weather. I'm not a big weather guy, so I, I appreciate you guys bringing that to my attention. So that's that's the first I'm hearing about this. But, I mean, obviously if it's going to be that bad or has the threat to be that bad, that's a storyline in this game. Um, and, and I think it would – I don't think it would change the Colts' approach game plan-wise and schematically, but I think obviously they would have to just be really good at running the football. And I think schematically too, I think you know what you're going to see from the Jacksonville, or excuse me, from the uh, Ravens' defense is more what Jacksonville did more so than how the Texans tried to defend the Colts in the running game. You know, the, the 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 Jaguars had that classic. You know, double sync defense where the defensive tackles are pinched in, uh, whatever you want to call it, double sync bear defense, however you term it. That that's what has the last couple of years given the Colts a lot of trouble against their zone running scheme, and I think you're going to see that out of this Ravens defense. And obviously, if it's going to be wet and nasty, and it's going to be hard to handle the ball, the Colts are going to have to run the ball very well. I will say though. You know, Gardner Minshew has proven, if, if it is Minshew as the starting quarterback, he's proven to be deadly accurate in the intermediate passing game. And that's really what the passing game has been, you know, in total this year so far for the Colts, regardless of who the quarterback is. If you look at it, the Colts really only have one pass completion on the season through two games on a ball that has traveled more than 20 yards down the field. And that was that completion to 
Will Mallory the other day, and even that play, you know, he kind of got lost in coverage and was wide open. So I think for Richardson, like his average air yards on completion so far this year is like 4.9 yards down the field. So that's a long, you know, meticulous way of saying like the Colts are going to be intermediate in the passing game to begin with, which doesn't mean they're going to have to push the ball down the field to move the ball, uh, just like they did against the Texans last week. So, you know, I I think you have a dry ball. uh, You know, you have a very accurate passer in all conditions. And Gardner Minshew, same thing goes for Anthony Richardson if he's out there. So you just got to win on the outside, and you got to uh, you know open some things up uh, for the running game if it's going to be nasty and windy and, and rainy. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to uh, you know eliminate you know, what the Colts want to do primarily, and that's sort of meticulously move the ball down the field with those intermediate uh, kind of second level throws in their passing game. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, with us, Matt. The run game in terms of what the quarterback can do obviously varies when it's Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson out there. And I know you can't comment. We don't know yet on what quarterback will be under center. But just for the sake of argument, let's say it is Minshew. How do things change from an offensive attack standpoint other than the obvious, which is that Minshew, while he can't run, likely isn't going to be scrambling in the way that Anthony Richardson likes to? Yeah, I think it just goes back to what I said before. I mean, regardless of the weather conditions, the Colts have to run the ball to help Gardner Minshew in the passing game because he's not a threat as as Anthony Richardson, at least not as big of a threat in the running game himself uh, as as Anthony Richardson is playing quarterback. So I I think you're going to see a tough front. The linebackers are really good in Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith. I think that's the strength of their defense. So you got to run the ball good, and also you got to win. You got to start winning on the outside. And, you know, this might be a big game, you know, maybe a breakout game in a positive way for Alec Pierce, who's only been targeted five times on the season and only has three catches so far. You know, the main cog in the passing game so far for the Colts has been Michael Pittman Jr. He's got at least eight catches in both games. But I don't think the Colts can afford, you know, to have, you know, one player be be that, uh, be relied upon on, on one player going forward. I think Pierce has to be, more involved, and I think that's going to help. Uh, it's going to help Gardner Minshew if, if he does have to start in this game. But again, Minshew, he just tears people up. You know, uh, to steal a line again from Rick Venturi, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's probably selling him short just because he's so accurate. He knows where to go with the football, and he knows this offense and scheme seemingly like the back of his hand with his familiarity with Shane Steichen. But I mean, when he came into the game the other day with no practice reps with the first-team offense all week, I mean, I've never seen a guy just feel more comfortable and sure of himself than Gardner Minshew in that situation, and I think that reflected in the the offense's confidence, you know, in him. You know, obviously the offense is going to change and the play call and the designs are going to change, but the execution didn't miss a beat. He completed 83% of his passes. In fact, he led – the Colts on scoring drives in his first three possessions when he took over in the second quarter. So, you know, obviously the, the offense is going to look different, but I think uh, just in terms of efficiency and overall productivity, uh, I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off. Now, you know, defensively, the, the uh, I think the Ravens are a step above uh, what the Texans offered last week, but Gardner Minshew is a pro, and if he does start on Sunday, it'll be his 25th start. So there's not much he's going to see on Sunday that he hasn't already seen in four-plus years in the NFL. That's the voice of Matt Taylor. He is the voice of the Colts joining us here on Quarian Company on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Matt, 
your opinion, not knowing who the starting quarterback is going to be, I mean, obviously the Colts would have a better idea of that than clearly Baltimore, but in terms of the possibility of one quarterback going through the entire week with reps and then another quarterback starting in the game, is that a more difficult adjustment in preparation for Baltimore or for the offensive players that are not quarterback of Indianapolis? No, that is a that is a great question, and I think it's definitely got to be Baltimore because, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Gardner Minshew has been here all off season, right? He was here in the spring, and up until about I think it was August fifteenth. I think it was August fifteenth. That was the date in which the Colts announced Richardson as the starter. So that's almost like two two and a half weeks of Gardner Minshew either being the starting quarterback or at least splitting first team reps. Uh, within the offense at quarterback. So, again, I think that came to fruition the other day. When Minshew comes in, you know, the players on offense, they they know Gardner, and they know that he knows what he's doing, and there's not going to be a drop-off. So there's a lot of confidence there, and there's just a lot of familiarity, you know, scheme-wise and repetition and just comfort with the other 10 players in the huddle with Gardner Minshew when he's in there playing quarterback. John Harbaugh actually talked about that on Monday and Tuesday this week, saying they've got a busy week this week because they they have to basically get ready for two different game plans or two different you know skill sets and strengths from two different quarterbacks, whether it's Richardson or Minshew. And I think the Colts should use that to their advantage. You know, a little gamesmanship here. And I know we talk about this a lot with college football and how it's silly to not name a starter and they don't release depth charts. Well, they do that for a reason. I mean, fans don't like it, but coaches do that for a reason. And I think that kind of bodes well for the Colts going into this game. They can have at least one 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 card, whether that's, you know, an ace or a king or, a, you know, an offsuit, you know, trump card, whatever it is to make a bad analogy there. That's at least one card they have in their deck that maybe they can use to their advantage uh, against the Ravens to make them stay up a little bit later at night getting ready for two quarterbacks, not knowing – you know, who they're going to see and the type of game plan they're going to play against. Our conversation with Matt Taylor presented to us by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, I have been critical of Chris Bauer and I continue to be in a lot of areas, but one area I cannot fault him and have to tip the cap to him is the way the contract is set up the next two seasons with Zaire Franklin and him already living up to the top billing as a true leader on this defense. We know he set the Colts tackle record a year ago, currently leading the NFL in tackles two weeks into the 2023 campaign. How, how big of a piece is he not just at the season as a whole, but in Baltimore this weekend? I mean, I think Zaire Franklin, I mean, all due respect to the other six captains that the Colts have, I mean, I think if you're looking for just one guy, like the unquestioned leader on this team right now, it's it's Zaire Franklin. And I, I don't think there's any debate, at least in my opinion, on that. He's he's a captain for four straight years, and he's just he's just balling out. And it's just it's remarkable to me, and it's it's so I'm so happy for him because this was a guy that was drafted in the seventh round in 2018 out of Syracuse, right? Not a hotbed, not a, not Alabama. It's not Clemson. It's not Michigan or Ohio state. He's coming from Syracuse trying to scratch and claw his way to make this team. And he does. And he's a mainstay on special teams plays incredibly well in that third phase of the game to get a second contract. And like you said, the Colts did a nice job of setting that up uh, with Zaire last off season but I think he's outplayed that. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that would deny that he's outplayed that contract. And this is just a classic case of you don't know what someone is capable of doing 
until you give them an opportunity. And last year, Zaire Franklin got the chance to be a full-time starter, be the linebacker out there every single play. Did he benefit from Shaq Leonard's injury? Absolutely. But it doesn't matter how you get on the field. It doesn't matter how you get an opportunity. It's, it, it's what do you do with it? How do you maximize it? And, my God, has he, has he done that and, and then some? I mean, leading the NFL in tackles so far through two games, you know, breaking a franchise record in tackles last year. But it's not just the stops. He's just, again, the leader, the vocal you know, key component of that defense. I think he and Shaq Leonard are now kind of like in unison of being like the spiritual leaders of that defense. So you just can't take them off the field, and the Colts don't for obvious reasons. And, uh, you know, where would this defense be without them right now? I don't know. But I, I think this defense has a chance to be very, very special. You're already seeing that. And, you know, going off on a tangent a little bit, EJ Speed last week, he brought up something really, really important that I didn't really think about. You know, this defense has a chance to be good primarily because all of the core players on this defense – They've been together now for like four or five years. You know, Speed, Leonard, Franklin, Buckner, Stewart, Quiddy Pay, uh, guys in the back end like Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. These guys have all been here for a long time, and you got to keep that group, you know, intact for as long as you can. Free agency and contracts obviously are going to, you know, disrupt that eventually, but they're all here now, and this defense has a chance to be really, really special. They're already the number one defense in terms of tackles for loss. They're up there in, in sacks. They're number one in, in yards allowed per rush, which is a key component in this game. But, yeah, Zaire Franklin, man, that guy, he impresses me so much on and off the field. Matt, one of your more famous calls, I think, as a matter of fact, I think we play it on this station from time to time. A couple of years ago, it was a, a Shaq Leonard, um, at that time it was Darius Leonard, interception. I think it was like a tipped pass interception return for a touchdown. And, you know, you're like, touchdown, you know, the maniac was there at the right place at the right time. When you think back to that play, I don't know if you remember that specific play, but plays like that, okay? Yep. What percent, physically speaking, of that player do you think Shaq Leonard is right now? Mm, good question. So that was I, – I, I remember it vividly. That was in uh, Tampa. It was like early December 2019. Um that's a good question. I mean, I, th- I think not to cop out, but I think only he could probably give you a, an accurate answer on that. I think it's fair to say, I mean, just statistically speaking, he's still somewhat on a pitch count. I mean, I think I think in each of the first two games, he's played 60 snaps um, by percentage numbers. Last week, he played a little bit less than he did in game number one. But I think that just speaks to, like, you got to get EJ Speed on the field too, right? So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know – how that's breaking down in terms of like where they're at with him on a pitch count versus trying to get speed involved in the defense and just what kind of player Leonard is right now compared to the last time he was fully healthy, you know, going back to the 2021 season, which seems like so long ago. So I don't know. That, that That's a good question. I mean, I think he's not – Jake, I think it's fair to say that he's not the same guy yet, but I think he's close. And I'll go back to what we talked about in the offseason. I mean – if you're going to see Shaq Leonard on the field, which he has been uh, the first two weeks, it's because he's 110% healthy. He wasn't going to put himself back on the field considering all that he went through and admitting that he came back a little bit too soon last year and just hated the guy that he saw on the field and wasn't you know, physically able to do the same thing. So I think 
you know, after game one, he said, you know, I, I like what I see. I, I like the guy that I see on film. Um, but I think even he would admit that he's not the same guy yet. But I think that's coming, and I think it will come. Uh, just the more that he plays, and the, you know, the more reps, and um, you know, the, the the more games the Colts play, and I think inevitably, hopefully sooner than later, you're going to see another uh, splash play, another you know, quintessential Darius Leonard, Shaq Leonard takeaway for you know a, a big uh, moment for the defense to, to hopefully you know set him over the top in the fourth quarter. But yeah, I think it's coming, but I, I think it's safe to say he's. He's not there yet just based on the percentage of, of uh, stamps that he's played so far. Do you think the Colts are the only team in the league that have more than one player whose first name starts with the letter Z? <laughs> well, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't know about that, but you know, if, you're, if you talk about the all-name team uh, this week, uh, that would be the Baltimore Ravens. They've got some doozies. I'm not there yet in terms of mastering the pronunciation, but they've got a lot of guys – I got a lot of international players that I'm gonna have to deal with. Matt, is it time. is it like what I'm calling like doing a one off of calling an Xfinity race and some <laughs> some like ride and park on the first lap spins and I'm like and it's car seventy three, right? Yeah, yeah. They've got so they've got a backup guard number seventy one, and if I get in a pinch and I get tongue twisted, it's just gonna be number seventy one. But Go ahead and look him up right now, because I I, I don't okay. want to. I'm I'm looking wanna, it up right now. Hang on. Yeah, Baltimore so, Ravens roster. You're saying number seventy one, correct? Number number seventy one. His first name is. Here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. It is Malaisal uh, Amuvai Lalu. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember during the pandemic, uh, I, I lost my Lysala, and it was really hard to get it replaced. You couldn't buy them anywhere. Um, and then the last name again is? Lalo. Uh, Lalu. Lalo. Well, it's L-A-U-L-U, right? So I would assume he's probably Polynesian, right? Correct. Uh, played yeah. at Oregon. He's got, um, a, he's got a hyph- so he's got a hyphenated last name. So let me try that again. It is. Amave Laulu, right? Yeah. Amuvai Laulu, I think. Amuvai Laulu. Like I said, it, it's Thursday. We've got a long way to go, Chase. <laughs> now, now, here's my question for you. Here's the question. If he is a – he's an offensive lineman, right? He's a guard? Yes. What, what are the odds that you're going to have to call his name other than if there's a penalty, and at that case you just have Scott Finstermaker yeah. pot up the audio of the official <laughs> saying – False start, number 71, offense. And then you just say, well, it's a you know false start. Right? I hope yeah. he reports is eligible so bad. Oh, yeah, that'd be Come awesome, on. wouldn't it? Come oh, on. That's, no, no, no. <laughs> See, I think I got that going for me, Jimmy, because at least he plays guard. Fair. Not that's fair. That's right? a good point, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. But, yeah, if, if there's if there's a, a false start on number 71, it just might be one of the offensive linemen for the Ravens got to right. start. Fair enough. Now, there's a couple of doozies. I mean, you've had to get used to for the Colts as well, To be, you know what I mean? But that's yeah, – no, Matt, Matt, it goes back to, I've said, and, and this is one of the fun things about the league, quite frankly. And, I mean, this is a guy we're talking about for Baltimore that played at Oregon, so it's not like – but the reality is if you can play football, if you, ha, if you have size, you have speed, you have footwork, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter – if you can play, you can play. They're going to – they are going to find you, right? Oh, that's it. I mean, the – the world has definitely shrunk with technology. I mean, it's not like it's not like the old days, right, where you're like coming home on a recruiting trip with like six bags of reel-to-reel film. I mean, you can get anything now on YouTube, and the world is all digital, and it's it's all social media. 
And, you know, it goes back to what we just were talking about. I mean, every every team seemingly in the NFL, I mean, every team that the Colts play, I look at the pronunciation guide and I look at the depth chart, there's always at least. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Two or three international players you know coming from the you guys that have nigerian descent or in you like you know talked about uh, polynesian descent i mean it it doesn't matter like i mean bernard ryman is a great example he didn't start playing football until he was like 14 15 years old and he was in germany like you know austria and and now here here he is a cornerstone left tackle in the nfl like if you can play this game if you're exposed to this game internationally um, the, the you know Colts and and all thirty one other teams they will find you and um, you know like basketball players you know some guys have like the proper build you know like a forward in basketball maybe is like the six oh or I mean Moali Cox a prime example right yeah Joe Joe Wright Joe Wright had like the perfect build for an offensive guard offensive tackle and they you know put some put some meat on them put them on a weight plan and here they are in the NFL either playing offensive line or. You know, tight end, you know, Antonio Gates is a great example of that. So, yeah, the, the game is becoming more spread out, way more international. And like I said, every, every week for somebody like me, I've got to learn these pronunciation guides because, um, you know, players are well represented now across the globe. He's Matt Taylor, play-by-play voice of the Colts. Joins us weekly, presented to us, of course, by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, have a great call and watch the forecast. Bring a poncho. Make sure that equipment stays dry. Oh, I will now, man. Thanks to you guys. That's right. Thanks for the heads up on that. Eighty-one percent chance good. of rain, Matt. Eighty-one percent chance. So you got a nineteen percent uh, chance of not having to worry about it, right? Uh, that's that's one way to look at it. I'll, I'll, I'll be dry. <laughs> I'll be dry in the press box. I don't know about everybody else. Nineteen percent chance of a false start on number seventy-one, and an eighty-one percent <laughs> chance. That's exactly how you're going to hear it on your radio, Matt. Appreciate that's exactly it. Right. You know those things are happening, boys. You know they're going to both come, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, Matt, right. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Appreciate it. Um, listen, the 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 forecast is interesting. I, I mean, I would, as you had mentioned, Jimmy, earlier, tropical storm possibly coming in. And, you know, it's not like it's going to be – people are going to be – the wind is going to be blowing people out of the stadium. But I think it, it there is a chance it's going to be raining. But then we hear about this every once in a while where it's like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be incredible on, on – leading up to a game and then you turn it on and you're like well, wait a minute it looks totally normal right it's like a light drizzle like a cyclone bomb or something <laughs> like that and they always have some weird term for it the jay cook plays of the day this is me all right i'm not a f- athlete this is my f- way this is how i win today's plays of the day all focused on thursday night football the g-men the giants taking on the san francisco 49ers in san fran we'll take debo samuel as an anytime touchdown scorer also going to take brock purdy over one and a half touchdown passes we'll play the over here over 43 and a half and lay the 10 and a half with the 49ers those are the plays of the day eddie do you have any that is a dangerous game when you play the over I understand. Why don't you, if you feel like the over is going to hit, why don't you just take the over for San Francisco? The over on their total? That's a good yeah. idea. It's a good because idea. Because now you're, you're really relying on the Giants to score. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. This is the first time ever in the plays of the day, but Eddie doesn't have any bets today. At least he didn't coming in. Eddie and I are going to tag team this. We're going to scrap the over, and we're just going to go with the point total instead of the Giants. 
Are you looking for it? I am. Stalling a little bit. Is this where I get to roast you now? Over 27.5 total. I was leaving the door open for that. Over 27.5. We'll go over 27.5 total points for the 49ers. A joint bet by myself and Eddie Garrison. A breaking of bread, if you will, I would say. Yeah. An olive branch. You know, you can't bet the Reds today or jinx (laughs) them again because, you know, that is. I didn't bet them yesterday. I did not bet the Reds yesterday. You did that thing again where you're like, oh, you see, folks, Reds minus 1900. There's backstory to this. Yeah, because he's done this before, Jake, where the Reds were leading. Very similar situation. May have been a bigger. They were uh, minus lead. like four thousand at the time yes. of that prediction because they were up like five one or five yes. nothing at that time, and they ended up losing in extra innings. So one eight hundred nine with it. Indeed, indeed. Telephone number for what that's worth. Text um, Hope NY in New York. John, by the way, is going to be at Joe's Grill in Fishers. If you are listening right now, you still have time to obviously get up there and enjoy, as he's going to be there for the next three hours. You guys got big plans for the evening. Getting no. my haircut. What's that? Going to get my haircut. Nice. I did that yesterday. Nice. I hope you go to 459 Barber Lounge, which is the, the best, and you can also get a beer or a glass of wine while you're waiting and a straight razor shave. So do I say your name or do I say Kevin's name? Uh, mine. Okay. You could actually, if you, I mean, I guess you could say, if you said Jake Bowen, that would make sense because I have, my cousin's last name is Bowen. Um, but, but, I mean... Let me, let me ask you. Does this Eddie. score brownie points with me in the company of retaining the CEO this is my job question. title for another week? Well, the fact that you just had to ask that previous question, you, you had to ask whether you use my name or Kevin's name. Now, which show do you work on? I work for this show, but I also do work with Kevin. You do. That's correct. But but has Kevin named you a CEO of anything? Oh, that's a very good point. Well, thank you. Very good point. I've done it twice. Shame on me. I've named you Shame CEO twice. Shame on me. First, and then again after I pulled the position from you. Now, see, I didn't know about that. Well, well it wasn't gone. fully pulled. It was a shared partnership with Nathaniel Finch. Mm. Now, Nathaniel Finch also, uh, he has hair like yours, similar hair to yours, combed over, I mean. Yeah, but his isn't texturized and wavy like mine. Do you use product in your hair? Zero product. Gee, I, I would never have guessed. I know. Um, <laughs> I get that question a lot. Honestly. Jimmy, well, Jimmy, you, you you basically shave your head down. So. Yeah. What are you going with there? A one guard? Uh, it's a Two? three on top and a half on the sides. A three on top three and on half, top, on the half on the sides. Split it okay. in. You're like a jarine, man. Great clips, sports clips. Where are we going, Jimmy? 459 Barber, Barber Lounge. That's exactly where, I, right. where I went yesterday. Bingo. That's the way to do it. Uh, so tonight it is what? The Giants and the Niners? Is that right? Yes. I would say it's the worst matchup on the slate, but Thursday night football is the Steelers and the Raiders, and I'm not excited about Or Sunday night football, sorry, is Steelers-Raiders. Yeah, I mean, you know, Rams-Bengals, which is Monday night game, is kind of intriguing just because, you know, what's Burrow? I mean, do we know yet where Burrow is? The Rams look better than they were a year ago, which isn't hard to do, and we don't know if the Bengals are going to be that team that was good the last two or three years that finally falls off. That always happens it feels like every year, and they're a candidate for that right now. Do you want to know my early candidate for the team that nobody talked about that all of a sudden in like week nine we're going to be like, are they good? I think they might be good. Give it to me. Washington. Ooh. Well, Sam Howell action? Rising the ranks? Okay. Now, who's the best team in the league right now? It's two weeks in, so it's kind of irrelevant in the long run, but who's the best team in the league? The team playing tonight in gold. Think so? Yeah. I think it might be the Dallas Cowboys. I still have questions about their offense. Fair. Their defense is awfully good, though. Agreed. I would toss a bone Miami's way. I would. Yeah, Miami's got a lot of speed, man. I mean, there's no doubt that Miami is Miami's pretty legit. There are a couple of games. There, there are some 
some games that seemingly are pretty easy to pick this week in the NFL slate. But we'll get into the vast majority of that tomorrow and then talk a little college football as well. As a matter of fact, tomorrow, uh, we've got a full show tomorrow, right, Eddie? Yes, sir. Beth Moens will be on. She's on the call of the Colts Ravens game. Kevin Bowen, Tom Noy, and uh, Pat Forty. Pat Forty talking a little college athletics as yep. well. Tom Noy getting a set for Notre Dame Ohio State. You're all fired up. For I that, am ready you? to go. I'm going to be there. That's a that's a tough game for me. I understand. I can't wait to wrap to unwrap that tomorrow. It's going to be great. All right, we'll do it. John's up next. By the way, have a great day, everybody.